Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. Special three-hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about eight minutes after 10 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater program. 455. Lisa, we have done 400. 55 shows. How is that possible? Wow. And we're still sitting here, so that's a testament <laughs> to my patience. We love, <laughs> we love, love, love bringing you these classic radio shows each and every week. It is February 8th, and we have five classic, well, actually four classic radio shows, because one of the shows is an hour-long presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight with Jack Benny. But we'll start things off in this hour with an, uh, an episode of Suspense starring Kirk Douglas. A little tribute to Mr. Douglas. He uh, passed away just a few days ago, age 103. He did, but, you know, his early career did include a lot of roles on radio, and we thought, how apropos would it be for us to play one of those for you tonight? Yeah, so we have an episode of Suspense, a rare show. I don't think we've ever aired this show, Um, 1947. Then after that, in Hour 2, we will tune in to Rocky Fortune, starring Frank Sinatra, and then The Great Gildersleeve for Valentine's. It's a Valentine's show. And then the hour-long Ford Theater. And one of the reasons why I wanted to play the Ford Theater is because, you know, Jack Benny's birthday was February 14th. Yes, I He used to talk about it all the time. And he used to talk about how he was never older than 39. That's right. Always 39. And you know what? You can see a lot of Jack Benny on Antenna TV. Yes. play a lot of it. And I'm always watching Antenna TV, and there's Jack, there's George Burns, and all the great classic radio shows. So not only do we have classic radio shows for you each Saturday night right here on WGN, but you can always watch Antenna TV and see the classic TV shows. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's just the facts and then suspense starring Kirk Douglas. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is our Just the Facts segment, and this hour for our suspense episode from 1947, we have some 1947 facts. First of all, this particular show appeared on NBC in 1947 and ran until 1960. Well, howdy doody show. Wow, remember this show? I do you do. remember watching Howdy Doody? I, I, I somehow I do. I don't know if that's possible. Sure. But uh, and, so uh, a wife's tale is that Howdy Doody has a freckle for every state in the United States. Fifty. I that, I'm not sure if that's actually true, but it certainly was a pioneer in children television programming, and it really set the stage for many similar shows after that. Yeah, that was yep. a very big kids show. Very big kids show. Uh, another fact from 19. 19- 42 is 47. A, I'm sorry, 1947. I don't know where that came from. Um, what it is is a 1942 Irving Berlin song reminiscing about an old-fashioned Christmas, and this version came out in 1947. Uh, 
So this version is sung by Bing Crosby, the world's best-selling single with estimated sales in excess of 50 million copies worldwide. I, I can't recall now if Thriller beat it or not, but... I don't think no, so. No, still the number one song of all time, I, I, White I Christmas. I think so. Wow, okay. Yep, and um, A Miracle on 34th Street was released in 1947. Before you go up on the floor, I just want to give you a few tips on how to beat a good Santa Claus. This is uh, a fantastic He won an Academy Award for this, yeah. Edmund Gwen. Yes, he Playing did. Chris Kringle. Yeah, Miracle on 34th Street won three Academy Awards. So Gwen won for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Valentine Davies for Best Writing, Original Story, and George Seaton for Best Writing of a Screenplay. Yeah, Natalie mm. Wood. She was little that in that movie. That was really huh? something. Wow. And in 1947, the Polaroid land cameras first introduced February of that year, and the cameras in Inventor Edwin Land took the first instant photo with his innovative camera in New York. It was a meeting for the Optical Society of America. And at that time, it developed a black and white photo in how many seconds, Carl? Gosh, black and white. 10 seconds. 60 seconds. It took a minute? It took a whole minute to be developed. And guess how much it sold to the public the for camera, at that time? At, time? at that time. 1947? Yes. 50 bucks. 89.95, which is why it certainly wasn't widespread. Expensive. Expensive. Wow. And of course, in 1963, they introduced the first color photo version of that. Wow. All right. Well, thanks, Lisa. Yeah, sure. Some uh, nice trivia Definitely. in 1947. going to get us into the mood. Yeah, well, you know, we lost a real icon this week, uh, Kirk Douglas, born in 1916. Wow, 103 yeah. years of age. Um, he was really a uh, not only an actor and a producer, he was a philanthropist, he was an author, very talented guy. Of course, his son... Michael Douglas is uh, one of the best actors of uh, of our era as well. So the DNA, you know, passed through there. <laughs> it right? certainly did. Um, more than ninety movies, and uh, the movie Champion, which is what he said when he did start in the movie Champion in nineteen forty nine. It was uh, what really made him a star. He had always talked about that through his career. He was nominated for an Academy Award for that movie as Best Actor. Um, Some of his most memorable movies, Detective Story, 1951, of course, Spartacus. that uh, That was a big one. 1960, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, 1954. Um, but, you know, in 1963, the year the year I was born, 1963, he starred in the Broadway play One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he liked that story so much that he bought the film rights from the author, then gave them to his son, who was starting to get into producing at the time, Michael right. Douglas. And Michael turned that uh, that, that script into an Oscar-winning film, of course, with uh, Jack Nicholson. You of know, course. Terrific movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, of course, he started out in radio. Yeah, he did. And um, his first radio was a radio experience was an adaptation of the film The Strange Love of Martha Ivers. Right. And this it was on This Is Hollywood, which was in 1947. Yeah. And then through 48 through 52, he played a number of radio roles, um, ranging from Escape and Suspense, which, mm-hmm. uh, of course, we have today, to uh, um, many anthologies. 
anthology series yeah. and all sorts of other great yep. classic radio and shows. And he was also in uh, soap opera for a while, too, on, yep. on uh, radio. But, uh, so, you know, a little tribute to him. You know, we lost a big, big, big icon this week. You know, Orson Bean passed away. Well, yes. he was hit by a car. I know. Orson 90 Bean. 90-some years old. 93, maybe? Starred in my audio Bible that I produced, and he also starred in a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes for yeah. me. So it was really I, sadden to see two, two main, I, you know, big I, stars. I remember him from Desperate Housewives, which yeah, is one of my favorites. Right. Well, it's time for Suspense. Suspense was one of the greatest mystery shows of the golden age of radio. And we have an episode starring icon Kirk Douglas. This is a broadcast from October 2nd, 1947. It's called The Story of Markham's Death. Let's tune this in uninterrupted now. Suspense. Suspense. Tonight, Suspense brings you Mr. Kirk Douglas as star. And now, Shanley brings you radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines of Fresno, California. Tonight, starring Mr. Kirk Douglas in The Story of Markham's Death, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Shanley by William Spear. You say Phil Martin's run dry? Well, I didn't make it up. My wife got it from Ann. Hasn't written a word in six months. Yes, and I got it from Peterson, his publisher. They dropped him from their spring list. Well, bye-bye, Dean of American Mystery Writers. I'm glad to see him go. Phil Martin. I thought that guy'd write from the grave. I don't understand it. I guess it happens to the best of us. Hope he saved his money, but I suspect he hasn't. Phil Martin run dry. I don't get it. I don't get it. No, I didn't get it either. Unless you border on that fringe of abnormality which marks you as a writer, you can't possibly understand the complete futility you feel when your talent is suddenly turned off like a water spout. I spent as much time staring at the blank paper in my typewriter as I ordinarily spent in writing an entire novel. Oh, Anne could sympathize with me because she loved me. But I didn't need Anne's stupid sympathy. Phil, darling, I'm sure it's only temporary. Temporary? Anne, I can't even write a decent ten-word telegram. And it's no use, Anne. I'm afraid I'm through. Oh, no, you can't be. Not anyone as great as you. Phil, maybe you've done too much. Darling, maybe you'll rest. Why why don't you rest for a few months? I've been resting. Well, I, I mean, get away. Yes, that's my last chance, dear. I'm going to do just that. I'm going abroad. Abroad? Oh, honey, when are we going? We aren't going. I am. I... You're... Philly, is, is this a way of letting... I mean, you... Oh, don't worry, dear. I'm not running out on you. I'll just be gone for a few months. Oh. Oh, well, just a few months. Yes, alone. And I told you when I first met you, I'm a complex person. I'm difficult to understand. Yes, yes, dear, I know that. I... But I thought I understood you. Well, you can't. Nobody can. But I love you, Phil. And I love you, Anne, but that doesn't change matters. I'm going to England for a few months by myself. You don't have a thing to worry about. You keep your apartment and wait for me. The rent's paid through the first of the year. I'll be back before that. Anne Fleming was the beautiful, not overly intelligent type of girl I've associated with since my divorce. Her only family was a half-brother. A petty hoodlum whose habit of always wearing gloves won him the imposing nickname of Kid Gloves. 
That hadn't helped when he ran his car into a storefront, killing two people just a block from where he'd held up a tavern. Kid Gloves had gone to jail three months before I met Ann to serve 40 years for manslaughter and robbery. <laughs> a very corny plot, the whole thing, including Ann. As I roamed around London, I thought maybe a visit in this city of great mystery tradition would be my answer. And it was. The second day, while wandering around aimlessly in the bombed-out and still unrepaired section of Bloomsbury, I stumbled onto my last inspiration quite by accident. Oh, say, uh, when was all this hit? Oh, right at the start of the war, sir. Oh, then this isn't V-bomb damage. Lord, no, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, the old house across the street had it the first time Jerry come over. Uh-huh. I'd almost say it was the first house to be hit in the war. Oh, well, did it take only one bomb to level it like that? Well, how many do you think it takes? They've cleaned it up a bit now. Old house, that too. Built back in 1750. Hmm, really? Yeah, pretty well known. Lots of Yanks made their digs there. Uh, before the war, that is. Uh, a Yankee rider stayed there once when he was here. Uh, what was his name, Ducky? Oh, E.P. Rowe. No, Poe. Poe. Poe? So you don't mean Edgar Allan Poe, do you? That's him. That's him. What? Edgar Allan Poe once stayed in that house? That's right. American writer. Acquaintance of yours. Well, well, hardly a contemporary. What? Oh, oh, nothing. My little Halbert was playing in the rubble there Tuesday last and dug out a box of junk. Maybe some of it was Mr. Poe's. Like to see it? Why, yes, certainly. Well, it's vaguely possible. I looked through the battered steel box... The woman provided me with a cup of tea as I spread the contents out in front of me. It was thrilling somehow to think that these dusty things perhaps had once belonged to the man who had invented the detective story more than a hundred years ago. As she went out and I replaced the trinkets, I snagged the faded, musty, gray satin lining of the box and accidentally tore it. Trying to get it back together, I only ripped it further. I put my hand under the lining to straighten it, and something fell out. It was a waterproof packet containing three yellowed sheets of paper written in a small, fine hand. At the bottom of the third page was the name Edgar Allan Poe. I slipped the packet into my pocket and returned the box. Oh, uh, find anything? Oh, well, no. Just as you said, a lot of worthless trinkets. Oh, uh, by the way, I... I ripped the lining as I was putting everything back. Oh, that's all right. Oh, no, I'd like to give you something for your trouble and for my clumsy damage. Uh, here. And thank you so much. Five quid? Oh, I say, five quid? But the old thing probably ain't worth a threepenny bit. Well, your time, your trouble, and your courtesy are, though. Thank you very much. But five quid? Oh, I say. <laughs> for an original Edgar Allan Poe manuscript. It was a short story written by Poe during his brief stay in England many years before his rise and subsequent fall. As I read and reread the manuscript, I realized that it was an experiment in a completely new mystery technique. Here, in effect, was what Poe had never discovered in his thesis on the existence of only 32 basic dramatic situations. Suddenly, I realized I was the only one who knew this story. 
and that I could put it to better use than as a museum piece. Why, here indeed was the 33rd situation. Why, in my hands it could blossom forth as a novel, a film, a radio play. I was about to be reborn, and literary immortality was at my fingertips. I began writing in London and all the way back home. It took me six months to complete my work, and then, with everything finished, I burned the original Poe composition and sent the novel off to the publisher. Then I called Anne. Will it be a big success, darling? Big success? Well, I've never been as confident of anything in my life. Oh, that's wonderful. And they <laughs> said you were through. <laughs> I told you. A rest was all I needed. A change of scenery. I'm proud of you, Phil. I'm so proud. I'm glad. Maybe now you... Now, Phil, maybe maybe you'll think differently about things. I'm so glad. Phil, you aren't even listening to me. Huh? Oh, oh I, I'm sorry, dear. <laughs> oh, look, look, Anne. I'm going to be pretty busy for the next few weeks. Now, I won't be able to see you very often. Oh, I should think you'd have time now that... Well, I haven't, but we'll see. You have a date tonight. Well, I'm going to the Mystery Writers' Banquet tonight. And tomorrow? Well, well, okay, but I'll come over for you at 8 o'clock, and for once, will you try to be ready on time? Every year on the anniversary of Edgar Allan Poe's birth, the Mystery Writers of America hold a banquet, similar to the Academy Award Banquet. Instead of awarding Oscars, they give Edgars for the outstanding works of the year. All of a sudden, everybody was looking at me. Now I have a special Edgar to give. This special award goes to the first writer to discover a new and startling different approach to the mystery story since the death of our patron saint, the great Edgar Allan Poe himself. Philip Martin, for your novel, Markham's Death. Yes, a special Edgar for an idea plagiarized from Edgar Allan Poe. The end had justified the means. And I knew that the original manuscript was now only ashes. I was the only one who had ever seen it. I was completely happy and enjoying my victory after the banquet in the quiet of my own home. Mr. Martin? Yes, speaking. This is Dr. Selgrove. Uh, Dr. Selgrove? Yes, I'm head of the Academy of American Letters. I want to congratulate you, Mr. Martin. I was at the banquet tonight. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Uh, well, yes, indeed. I, I've been uh, collecting data on Edward Allan Poe all my life. Uh, your work was in the finest traditions of Poe. Well, that is the supreme compliment, Doctor. Uh, Mr. Martin, what did you find behind the lining in that steel box in London? What? It was you, wasn't it? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, in the truest Poe tradition. So much so that I have reason to believe your idea was once Poe's. Now, look, Doctor, I, I hope you haven't spread this misinformation around. Why, you're wrong, of course, but, well, even the faintest suggestion could do me irreparable harm. If you mean, uh, have I been discreet, sir, I have, until now. Well, look, how do you want me to disprove this ridiculous accusation? I'm at the academy every day. I'll be there tomorrow night until 9.30. The doors close at 8, but I'll wait for you. That will be fine, doctor. I'll be there around 9. And as I set the receiver back on the hook... I wondered just how much he actually knew and what I would have to do to silence him.
Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Mr. Kirk Douglas in the story of Markham's death. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Kirk Douglas as Philip Martin in the story of Markham's death, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. The hands of the clock on the wall seem drugged. They moved so slowly that day. My appointment with Dr. Selgrove was for 9 p.m. I was to be at Ann's at 8. I figured about 20 minutes would wipe that slate clean. Hello, honey. I'll be ready in a minute. I said I'd be here at 8. Oh, dear. Isn't 8 already, is it? Yes, it's after 8. Oh, I thought it was only about 7.30. I'll hurry. Well, there's no reason. Are we going out? No, Ann, we're not going out. As a matter of fact, we're never going out again. What? I'm sorry, Ann. This is the last time we'll see each other. What, but... I... I... What, Phil, I've... I've I've told everyone... What have you told everyone? That that we were going to be married. What? You shouldn't have. Did I ever say I'd marry you? No, I was married once and it doesn't work for me. This would be different. Oh, would it? I don't think so. You see, Anne, you're taking up too much of my time. But I wouldn't get in the way, Phil. You know that. You're also taking up too much of my thoughts. I probably hit that bad slump a few months ago because of you. No. Oh, it wasn't your fault. It was mine for not realizing it. Phil, you, you really mean oh, this. Oh, now look. <laughs> what about me? What about me? What am I going to do? You'll get over it. Here, this should help. What's that? Take it. Just what you like. A roll of nice, clean, new $50 bills. Mm. Feel better now? You think you can buy everything with money, don't you? Well, you can't. And stop drumming with that letter opener. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize. (laughs) Well, that takes care of everything, doesn't it? We're still friends? No. No, we'll never be friends. Phil Martin, you're rotten. You're rotten and you're conceited. You're you're everything I've ever... I hate you. I said I don't like scenes. Goodbye, Anne. Get out of here. As I left her apartment, I paused to look at my watch. It was 8.30. I noticed a man fade back into the darkness of the doorway, but outside of the fact that he looked vaguely familiar, I thought nothing more of it. I felt as though a weight had been lifted from my shoulders, at least from one shoulder. And I was on my way to lift the weight from the other one. The Academy of American Letters was just a short distance from Anne's apartment. Mr. Martin? Yes. I take it you're Dr. Selgrove. That's right. Uh, Sit down, Mr. Martin. I'll stand, thank you. You were at the banquet last night. I remember seeing you. And when I saw you, I knew my search was over. You fit the description just like the missing piece in a jigsaw puzzle. I knew you were the man Mrs. Carruthers described. Well, who is Mrs. Carruthers? The woman who gave you the steel box. 
The box which must have contained the Edgar Allan Poe manuscript you so skillfully rewrote. Preposterous. You deny that you were in London? Well, no, but... Or that you found the box and examined it? Well, well no, but... Uh, I, I... Mr. Martin, a poverty-stricken woman like Mrs. Carruthers couldn't forget a man who gave her five pounds. She could forget seeing him slip a packet into his pocket. That is, until someone came along and gave her ten pounds to refresh her memory. <laughs> For ten pounds, she'd probably dreamed up the whole story. Look, you say you know something of Poe. Then you know that the time he spent in London was long before his prominence as an author. Why, for all we know, he didn't write a line during his entire stay there. Mr. Martin, I've devoted my life to gathering information about Edgar Allan Poe. It's my hobby as well as my job. I've been looking for one missing manuscript for a long time. A manuscript whose existence I learned of by quite by chance. What are you talking about? Uh, th this letter which Edgar Allan Poe wrote to a cousin in Boston during his London visit. Fine piece, isn't it? Well, what about it? Well, let me read it to you. He says, My new theory for a tale of murder is a form of induction as opposed to deduction. I refer to it as Markhamism after the title character. My first draft manuscript is stored behind a satin curtain built of steel to age and mellow until such a time as I may produce it without being turned mad. I see. Hear me, you were overconfident, Martin, calling your novel Markham's death. Not only didn't you change the process, you didn't even alter the name. And if I should admit to all this, what would be your price? <laughs> now, Mr. Martin, money's of no consequence. I'm a student, a collector of American letters. All I want from you is the manuscript. Impossible. In return for my everlasting silence. Possessing the manuscript is payment enough. I have no desire to ruin you. Unless, of course, it should become necessary for me to do so. Well, how would I know you wouldn't show it? Certainly you don't question my word. The manuscript has been destroyed. Don't expect me to believe that. It's the truth. I burned it. Well, if you want to be difficult, I won't agree with you, Mr. Mar uh, Martin. Uh, pity you won't cooperate. I I'll just put this letter back in the safe, and then tomorrow we'll, uh, we'll see... with the return of cold logic. Dr. Selgrove was unquestionably dead. I had to act quickly because speed was essential. I knew that from what I myself had often written. I took the letter and pocketed it to be burned later in the privacy of my own home. There would be no suspicious ashes for the police to sift. The bookend was the only thing I touched. I carefully filled the wash basin with hot water and dropped the bookend into it, smearing and obliterating any fingerprints. Now, I had to work backwards. The average murderer establishes his alibi first. But in my case, I had to establish it behind me and cover my time. Most people are careless about exact times and, and can be off many minutes, especially in their recollection. Have you ever looked at your watch, then had some ask you the time only to find that you had to look again? <laughs> Yes, Anne would work as my alibi. I couldn't confide in her, but she was careless about time. But what of the man I'd seen in her hall at 8.30? Suddenly, I knew. It was Anne's brother, Kid Gloves Fleming. Now that I thought about it, I knew I recognized him from his pictures. He'd obviously escaped from prison and had gone to Anne for help. Yes, Anne would be more than happy to say I'd been with her until a quarter to nine. Unobserved, I hurried back to her apartment house, in front of the building, 
I hailed a passing taxi and entered at precisely 9 5. Uh, where to, mister? Uh, the Milford Club on 59. Not many taxis in this neighborhood, are there? Oh, were you waiting long? Ten or fifteen minutes. I, I wanted to be at the club by nine. Oh, it's almost that now. Is that all? I thought it was later. Oh, well, I'll get you there fast. Oh, that's all right. There's no hurry. Oh, good evening, Mr. Martin. Oh, good evening, Henry. Well, not many coats being checked tonight, are there? Uh, no, sir. But look at all those hats. Let me see. Hmm. Seems as though I've misplaced my watch. Oh. Uh, have you the time, Henry? Why, sure. It's uh, 20 minutes after 9. Oh, thanks. Well, <laughs> I seem to be losing everything tonight. Oh, what's wrong? Well, I've dropped my notebook. Oh, I must have dropped it in that taxi. Was it important? Well, just to me, I had some personal notes in there. Oh, look, I wonder, Henry, if you'd call the cab company for me and ask if it's turned in. Oh, sure. Thanks. My name and address are engraved in the cover. As a matter of fact, I even recall the name of the driver. It struck me as unusual. It was Alonzo P. Alonzo. I'll take care of it. Thanks. Oh, and you might add that I'll post a $25 reward. Then I went down to see Lieutenant John Kirkland of Homicide. We'd been classmates, and I'd spent many an evening at headquarters discussing our favorite subject, crime. Well, 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 hello, hello, Phil. Hiya, Johnny. Anything on the docket? Oh, just routine. Uh, mind if I sit in? I want to get my mind off Anne. Anne? Well, what's the matter? Oh, you know, Johnny, the usual. I I wrote Finney to our little romance, and, well, she wasn't too happy about it. <laughs> Still a dog with the women, eh, kid? <laughs> oh, say, hmm? say, this is a coincidence. Remember that wild kid brother of Ann's? Kid brother? Oh, oh, you mean the one they call Kid Glove? Mm -hmm. Well, I remember reading about him. Why? Well, he broke out of jail late this afternoon. Uh-oh. Say, Ann will certainly be worried. Well, she won't have to worry anymore. What? Yeah, they caught him down at the railroad station trying to get out of town. What? Are, are they bringing him in? Yeah. Stiff. Oh. Yeah, the poor fool decided to shoot it out, and he picked a crack shot like O'Malley to draw on. Oh, uh, well, is O'Malley all right? <laughs> oh, sure, O'Malley's always all right. But the kid's dead. Oh, this is going to be tough on Anne. Even though they didn't get along, he's still there. her brother. Well, she'll get over it. I, I guess it's better this way. Uh, it's a funny thing, though. He was still wearing those kid gloves, and he had a roll of new $50 bills that would choke a horse. Now I understood Anne's brother had visited her just after I left And she'd given him the money Well, I was completely relaxed now The only person who could possibly spoil my perfect story Was Dick Oh, uh, pardon me, Phil, please Sure Hello uh, This is Kirkland speaking Oh, when? I see. Who? Philip Martin? Huh? Why, why, he's right here. I said he's right here. Oh, is it for me? Uh, just a second, Bill, please. Yeah. Okay. Let me know. I'll send him right up. Hey, what's up, Johnny? I thought that call was for me. No, no, it, uh, it wasn't for you, Phil. It, it was about you. Well... 
About me? Yeah. Where were you this evening? I told you. I had dinner, went over to see Anne, and then met you. Well, weren't you anyplace else? Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. Say, Johnny, what is this, the third degree? Do you remember what time you left Anne's? Why, well, I must have left about a quarter of nine. Yes, I'm sure of that. It was just about nine when I caught my cab. Was anyone with you? Uh, at Anne's, no. We were alone. Couldn't you be mistaken? Couldn't you have been someplace else, maybe at 8.15 or 8.30? No! Why, Phil, why do you play right into my hands? Why do you make it impossible for me to help you? What are you talking about? Murder, Phil. I'm... I'm arresting you. For murder. In a few hours, I'm going to be executed for the murder of Dr. Selgrove. But the police don't know that yet. You see, although I'm innocent of the crime I'm scheduled to die for, I'm powerless to save myself. Yes, I backed out of my own crime successfully. Only I set myself squarely in the middle of a worse one. The only way I can save myself is by telling that I was busy killing Dr. Selgrove at the time I'm supposed to have killed Anne Fleming. I know that Anne was killed by her brother, but there's no way of proving it. The letter opener he plunged into her chest still had my fingerprints, slightly smeared by his kid gloves. Robbery was ruled out because nothing was disturbed. Snooping neighbors had heard Anne and me quarrel and had heard her scream around a quarter of nine. They suspected that I had hit her and nothing more. But it placed the time exactly exactly as I had placed myself in her company during that time. <laughs> well, I see where they dug up another original, hitherto unknown manuscript by Edgar Allan Poe in somebody's closet in Fordham, New York. It's all about a man who builds such a perfect alibi for himself that he gets executed for the wrong murder. Well, I'm glad they only found it today. After I had already written the above confession. Otherwise, they'd say I'd been plagiarizing Poe again. Suspense. The story of Markham's death, starring Kirk Douglas, presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines, America's largest selling wines. Enjoyed by more Americans than any other wines. Kirk Douglas may soon be seen in the Hal Wallace production, I Walk Alone. Tonight's suspense play was written by Bob Platt. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Richard Ney as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. In the coming weeks, Suspense will present such stars as Louis Jourdain, June Havoc, Dennis O'Keefe, Marsha Hunt, and others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
That is Suspense, starring Kurt Douglas in the story of Markham's death from October 2nd, 1947. And we did lose Kirk Douglas this week. Uh, December 9th, 1916, he was born. Passed away February 5th, uh, this week of uh, 2020. 103 years old, Lisa. He sure was. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Suspense. And, um, you know, Suspense... What a great series. 1942 all the way to 1962, approximately 945 broadcasts. And it was uh, inducted into the National Hall of uh, Fame for radio in 2011. And you know what was the most, uh, the show that was aired the most times on suspense? I'll give you a hint. On a country road. Nope, nope, it wasn't. And I'll give you a hint. Okay. Agnes Moorhead started it. so many of them. Yeah, but there was one particular one. In fact, it was written by uh, Lucille Fletcher. Okay. She wrote a lot of episodes for Um, Suspense. Oh, the one with the telephone? Yes. Um, uh, Don't tell me the name of it. Don't tell you? No, just a second. It's... um, Sorry. Sorry, wrong number. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I I, I could picture the the, the scene. Well, that was the most famous episode of Suspense. In fact, they played it. Eight times on suspense throughout the years. And then it was so popular that in 1948, they made a movie. Sorry, wrong number. Now, you would think that they would cast Agnes Moorhead, but they didn't. They cast Barbara Stanwyck, who was actually in the very first movie that Kirk Douglas Mm. ever starred in, 1946, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers. He was 30 years of age when he did his first movie, and... Co-starred with Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, Suspense, very, a very popular radio series. Hope you enjoyed that. In our next hour, we're going to play a Frank Sinatra radio broadcast called Rocky Fortune. He's sort of an amateur detective. But we're going to have some time in our next hour, so we're going to play a seven-minute clip from a Doris Day radio show. And the reason why I want to play this clip is because the guest is Kirk Douglas, and it's the only time that we could figure out, the only time that he sings on the radio. He and Dorothy, uh, I'm sorry, Doris, Doris Day, <laughs> I said, <laughs> he and Doris Day sing a duet in a seven-minute clip. That's in our next hour. Stick around. More of the WGN Radio Theater after these words. Well, you know, they say they die in, in threes. Yeah, I'm afraid and we have Kurt, the third one Yeah, today. Kirk Douglas died this week. Orson Bean was hit by two cars. I saw that on the news. I was like, oh, my gosh, because I, I had the great pleasure working with him. I didn't know. Um, I only read it was one. I didn't no, know anything he, about a second car. He got car. hit by two cars. Like, probably, I don't know. I don't know. Don't go But there. now, we just I just found this out. Yeah. Lisa just told me, one of my favorite actors of all time, Robert Conrad, yeah, passed he away. He was 84. Heart failure. Yeah, I mean, kind of just an old age type of thing. And, of course, he was renowned for doing his own stunts. Yeah. Wow. Robert yeah. Conrad. I didn't, I remember watching Wild Wild West as a kid. My two favorite shows growing up, Batman and Wild and Wild these West. These are all shows from the 60s. James T. West, he played. Man, yeah. He was, I don't know if you've ever seen this show, but it airs on Antenna TV. Yeah. But if you've ever seen this show, he was sort of like a James Bond you know, yeah. He he and Artemis Gordon played by oh gosh, what was his name? I'll think of it. But anyway, uh, James West and Artemis Gordon they were CIA agents, right? They were like agents, 
you know, for the government. They were Secret Service, sorry, Secret Service agents. And they worked for our government. Ulysses S. Grant was their boss. You would see Grant on the show sometimes. And uh, they would, they were on a train. They lived on this train, real cool train. And he had all these gadgets. Did you ever see the show, Wild Wild West? I, I think I have, but it's been many, many years. So he, I, he had, I, like, I don't remember. You know, James Bond hands. has gadgets, right? All kinds of, you know, <laughs> he had grappling hooks and all these things. Well, as a kid, I would watch Wild Wild West and I would make the gadget or attempt to make the gadget. After seeing the episode, so I'd watch it every week, and then whatever he had, whether it was a grappling hook, or I remember making a grappling hooked hook with a rope, and um, luckily I'm still here today because I <laughs> I used that grappling hook and tried to swing from house to house. That how did that work for you? Um, I hit my head a few times. Yeah. That's probably explains a few things i might wouldn't you say i don't know i think it was when you hit it with the black ice but yeah know. i did hit my head with black ice <laughs> once uh, i can't believe it robert conrad passed away wow yeah, i'm afraid remember so. he would do those commercials with the battery on his shoulder and yes. he'd say knock this off yeah. my shoulder or something like that uh, wasn't it I can look it up. I yeah, don't something. remember the exact. Wow, he was great. And then he did Baba Black Sheep. Yep, he that did. was the other show he did. So, man, and I don't think I have any radio shows with Robert Conrad because he he started really as a TV actor. Yeah. He really didn't do any radio shows. So, if yeah, I had Yeah, I looked some, it up. I didn't find any radio shows that he did. No. Uh, well, you know what? He says he hosted a weekly two-hour national radio show, yeah. the PM show with Robert Conrad. Yeah, but that was but, now. That was current. Right, that that was, was not a classic radio no, show. No, it wasn't. Wow, very sad. William Conrad, but not Robert no, Conrad. <laughs> no, and no relation either. <laughs> two different Conrads. No. Oh, man. And, of course, um, he was born in Chicago. Yeah. Oh, he mm-hmm. lived here for many, yeah. many years. Um, and then, as you said, he had a radio show for a while. He yeah. he yeah he died. Uh, lived in Malibu. Died um, heart failure. Eighty four only. Wow. Uh, and I read that he dropped out of high school when he was fifteen. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's sad. Uh, we lost Kirk week. Douglas, yeah. Orson Bean. Now Orson Bean did some radio shows, so yes, I'll try to find some maybe and play one for you. In our next hour, you're going to enjoy Frank Sinatra, the chairman of the board. In Rocky Fortune, a program called The Football Fix. And I played that because last week was the Super Bowl. <laughs> did you watch it? It was a great... I did watch it. You're I a week really late, enjoyed, but it's okay. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed that Super Bowl. And I really, you really... You didn't watch it. Yes, I did. I went you by did? Reed's house and I watched oh, the whole yeah. Super Bowl. I didn't know I, you My watched. son and I went I watched there. it, too. It was fantastic. There was, what, what are you going to do better than watch And you know what was the best part about it? The halftime show? Absolutely. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> Next hour, it's Rocky Fortune. And then we're going to play a seven-minute clip with Kirk Douglas and Doris, uh, Doris Day. Day. Don't miss that. Stick around. Uh, more here of the WGN Radio Theater after these words. This week on Chicago's Best, roll out the red carpet. The CB team is cooking up dishes from restaurants featured on the big screen. Chicago's Best at the Movies, Sunday night at 1030 on WGN-TV. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. 
So this is our Just the Fact segment brought to you by Cat's Pride, and we are on hour two. We're going to be playing Rocky Fortune from 1954. You okay, Carl? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, good. <laughs> Just wasn't sure. So we've got some great facts from 1954 to start off our Rocky Fortune hour. All right. Okay. First of all, I thought we talked first and then went to a commercial and then came back for this. We can do that if you'd like That's to. That's what I thought we were supposed to do, but okay. You're the boss, Carl. Right, Whatever you know. say. I don't know. I'm a little confused. Okay. I'm easily all right. confused. All right. Should we should we keep going go and then we'll then we'll go yeah. back to talking? Yeah. All right. Here's a musical that opened in 1954. See if you know it. No, 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 that's not it. Mr. Sandman? Yeah, but that's not the musical that opened in 1954. Let's try again. All right. Well, anyway, go ahead. All right. Well, we can talk if you want about what we're going to talk. Well, we I'm go pretty back sure we're supposed facts. to talk and then go to a commercial, Let's then come back with just the facts. Let's do just that. So facts. what I was going to ask you is there there is a uh, something big on TV. It happens to be the Oscars tomorrow. <laughs> the Oscars. <laughs> the uh, the Oscars are um, are on the uh, are on the air, right? The Oscars. What are, are the best movies this year? Okay, so we're going to ask our listeners to text in for their prediction for what is going to win Best Picture. I will give you the choices, and I want to hear what you think, Carl. Mm-hmm. Okay, 1917, which I know you saw. Right. Ford versus Ferrari. Okay. Joker. Mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wow, there's some good ones. Mm- wait. I'm, go I'm go gonna... back again. 1917, right? What's the next Should one? Should I start over? Please. Okay, 1917. Right. Ford v. Ferrari. Okay, Ford versus v. Ferrari. Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Joker. Wow. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You're wow. going to have to use shorthand over there. Right. Parasites. I don't the even Irishman. know what that is. Little Women, Jojo Rabbit, and Marriage Story. That's a lot of movies. It's sure Little is. Women. Yep. What's the other one? <laughs> I can't say uh, it again for you. Uh, There's okay. nine. <laughs> I, you know, here's the thing. Out of all those movies, if you were to ask me what I think is the best movie, Not, I've seen almost every I'm, one of them. I actually didn't ask you it was the best movie. I'm, I want to know what you think is going to win. Which is actually could be a different question. Well, let's ask our listeners. Text in. Text in at 312-981-7200. We want to know what you think the best picture is. I, gosh, it's it's a toss-up for me between 1917, which was amazing. I just saw that. Right. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, although the Joker could win. My my guess is Once Upon a Time is going to win. Yeah. That's a good guess for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not see all of these movies. I saw some of them, but I think that's going to be the winner. Yeah. So let's wait and see what our listeners think. They usually right. know. In this hour, <laughs> we will have uh, an episode of Rocky Fortune starring Frank Sinatra. But uh, stick around. We'll be back after these words. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed. It's like deja vu. All right, just the facts. I, this is take I two. I heard this. <laughs> no, you didn't. You're just confused. Take two. This is just the facts brought to you by Cat's Pride. We are on hour two. We're going to be playing Rocky Fortune from 1954. And here's some interesting tidbits from 1954. First off, a great musical opened in 1954. Let's hear if you can name that, Carl. Uh, well. <laughs> 
game. All right, here we go. Pajama game. You got it. It's the pajama game. Gosh. You know what? Again, one of the old-time musicals that really does persist through time somewhat, although this is a little dated, I will mm-hmm. tell you that. It mm-hmm. opened in 1954, closed in November of 56, so it certainly did a good job back then. Uh, we also had the introduction of the Marlboro Man in 1954. Really? It was Mar- the first time, huh? Yeah, but Marlboro cigarettes were considered feminine and marketed to women with the slogan, Mild as May, until... The Marlboro Man. The Marlboro Man came yeah, on. You know, big, was, rugged guy. Sure. So I, it was all about marketing, <laughs> right. you know? Um, yeah. And then American surgeon Joseph Murray completed the first successful organ transplant. He moved a living kidney from one identical twin to the other. What? 1954. Wow. Yeah, that the operation took four hours. Ah, that's scary stuff, wow. man. Especially on a, on a child. Got one more? I do. And so, a uh, big song in 1954. See if you recognize it. Mr. Sandman. There it is. Doesn't it just make you smile? This was the, the Cordettes, and Mr. Sandman was written by songwriter Pat Ballard, first recorded by the Cordettes, and it became their very first hit and stayed at number one for seven weeks in 1954. Wow. Yeah. Quite a year. Every year is quite, quite a year. the so year. It's, it's pretty exciting what's All right. going on. Very cool, Lisa. Our text in line, 312-981-7200. Let us know what you think is going to win Best Picture. Um, i, I got to say... You you know, did you see 1917? I didn't see, see it. See, I don't I, think a lot of people saw that movie. I, I think you're wrong. I think a lot of people did see it, but I think Quentin Tarantino is going well, to win it. I'll bet for, you not uh, as many people saw that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I disagree with you. No, I'm saying Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there was more people that oh, saw that. I probably. I don't think 1917 did huge box office compared to... You know, once upon a time, in but Hollywood. we're not the ones voting either. But I got to tell you, I saw that movie and it was amazing. I know you mentioned absolutely that. amazing. Well, both mo- movies yeah. were. So it's. I think it's one of those two. All right. Although well, Joker you, could just sweep, could absolutely sweep I, tomorrow I, I night. I think this is going to be Quentin Tarantino. I think mm-hmm. this is going to be his day. All right. Well, uh, Frank Sinatra. We get to hear him. Sunday mornings with Dave Plyer on the Sinatra Hours right here on WGN. Don't miss that. I think it starts at 6 in the morning, right? Uh, 6.30. Yeah, 6.30. Sinatra Hours with our good pal Dave Plyer, and uh, he plays all the great songs that Frank Sinatra sings, but Frank Sinatra also was a very good dramatic actor, and we have a radio broadcast for you now called Rocky Fortune. Uh, on this show, Frank Sinatra played an amateur detective and named Rocky Fortunato, came to radio in 1953, and the whole deal with this show was he, this guy, Rocky Fortunato, he was out of work all the time, and it was going from one job to the other to the other to the other. You ever been there, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's happened. You know, it happens, it happens. now and then. <laughs> and uh, that was the that was the kind of the the setup to the show, right? He would go to one job to another, and when he would do this job, whether it was a pizza deliverer or uh, you know whatever it was, there was always a body, 
you know, uh, turning up and right. he had to solve the crime before the police thought he was the guy that did it. So that's uh, that's the concept of this show called Rocky Fortune. It began in 1953, lasted one year. And here's why it only lasted one year, Lisa, because at the time this show started, he had already wrapped the film from here to eternity where he played uh, Maggio, you know, uh, Private Angelo Maggio. And I think he thought, you know what, this could be my my uh, Academy Award, right? And he was right. He won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in that movie. And so what happened is the this show was on the air, and then he won the Academy Award. Well, That's why it. do this little radio show right. anymore, right? And then he, and he told that. them, I'm done with this. I'm doing more movies. Well, when you win your first Academy Award, I'll understand when you walk <laughs> away. <laughs> Never. I love doing this. This is my favorite thing. All right, let's go back to February 2nd, 1954. Football Fix is the title. Frank Sinatra stars here. Uninterrupted now is Rocky Fortune. Frank Sinatra, transcribed as Rocky Fortune. NBC presents Frank Sinatra, starring as that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. How are you? Hey, did you ever notice how every week I get dragged or thrown into a homicidal picnic where I get pushed around? And speaking about lumps and stuff reminds me of another form of homicide, the football racket. Started one night at Artie's pool palace. As I ankle toward the Q-Rack, I see a monster-type guy moving toward me. His eyes are full of things to say. I put the cue away, and when he was close enough, looked right down his necktie. Fortune? I ain't Liberace, kid. Who are you and what's in your mind? Jerry Brady, and I got trouble. What's my handmaiden doing for you? Plenty. Look, I'm in a spot. Oh, yeah, I place you, Jerry Brady. Best quarterback in pro football. Yeah, you're in a spot. You can lead the Bombers to a championship tomorrow night, for which you'll get a fat bonus. Maybe tomorrow never comes. What's eating you, Brady? Bert Addison. Bert Addison? What's the big wheel got to do with you? He owns the Tigers. So? Look, Fortune. It ain't like I was an angel. I done business with Addison a long time ago. I blew a few games for him when I was in college. Got some long green and was forgotten. Then I signed up with the Bombers. Since I've been playing for Pat Casey, I've been straight. Now Addison's after me. The fix, huh? What else? Wants me to meet him at his joint, the Silver Cradle, at nine. How do I fit in this thing? Understand you and Addison had it out before. Figures you won or you wouldn't be around. Gonna turn him down cold. I want you around to make sure I get out with all my arms and legs. What's it worth? Five hundred clans. Kid, you got a no-blocking back. I'll meet you at nine. Hey, you're Jerry Brady. What a ball player. Sound of house. What do you drink? Where's Addison? No offense, Brady. The boss is back in his office. Thanks a lot, Buster. Come in. Couple hours early, aren't you, Brady? Yeah, I wanted to talk without Casey. 
Bert Addison's always ready to talk. Let's get to the point. We've done business before. How much do you want to call wrong plays all night? Fifty grand. That's a lot of dough. That's my price. Bet that on my tigers at three to one. You can wind up a rich boy. Is it a deal or ain't it? Yeah, yeah, Brady. I'll give you 25 now, the rest after the game. All of it, big man. You got no worries? Your team, your odds, two quarterbacks working for you? Don't get too bright, Brady. Look, Addison. I'm out for the big kill. You want to count it? No. One thing before I go. I may be back at nine. If I am, play along with whatever I do. Get it? You're running the plays, but you better not fumble. Sergeant Hamilton J. Finger speaking. Hiya, hey. Oh, it's you, Fortune. What's on your perpetrated mind? You made a boo-boo, Sarge. And I was just ready to cut you in on something grandiose. Your heart bleeds with a milk of human kindness. Sarge, I was going to give you a bed warmer for your birthday. Come on, come on. I ain't got all night. I last night on a new job. I'm a bodyguard. <laughs> you a bodyguard. You mean a babysitter, don't you? Yeah, very funny. Yeah, babysitter. Except this big-headed kid is bouncing for 500 smackaroos. 500? If you're working by the pond, you must be on Farouk's payroll. Nope, I've been retained by a mud and cleat boy, Jerry Brady. Mr. Football, huh? What do you want me to do, guard you? Sometimes you're as precocious as Bonzo, Sarge. Very funny. Well, if you're through guessing, I'm going to hang up. Now, wait a minute, Finger. This may be something big. I'm meeting Brady at the Silver Cradle at nine. We got a date with Bert Addison. He tried to buy Brady off, and we're turning him down. So what do you want from me? Just wanted you to know. Thought you could call me at home later, make sure I was tucked in for the night. Ah, ain't that nice. Baby Rocky wants me to tell him a bedtime story. Get lost. You're a real live doll, Sarge. But I'll wait with bated breath till I hear your blue little lips flapping in a couple hours. Bye now. minutes later, the cab dumped me off one block from the silver cradle. As I moved down the street, I saw three figures huddled together a short distance from the club. One was young, thick-chested, with a yard of shoulder, Jerry Brady. The other was older, stoop-shouldered and wiry. I'd seen him before, too. It was Pat Casey. The third party... Oops. Her clothes fit her like another layer of skin. I moved up to him, and Brady saw me first. Hey, Fortune, over here. Pat Casey and his daughter, Nora. Glad to meet you. Hello. Hiya. I told Pat all about Addison. He's coming in with us, okay? Sure. You met Addison before, didn't you, Fortune? The hockey scandal, wasn't it? Yeah. Me and the big wheel were playmates. Mm-hmm. Let's go, then. And remember, Jerry, let me and Fortune shoot off our faces. I'll see you guys. He's in the back office. Thanks for nothing. Let's go. Come in. Have a seat. Smoke? Drink, perhaps? We're not the key for the committee. Start talking. I don't have a thing to say. I do. I'm going to run your tigers right out of the stadium. You're just the guy who could do it. 
You know something, Brady? I was going to try to make a fix. Look, Addison, no filthy bottom-of-the-barrel scum like you will get his hooks into this kid. Tell him we've done business before, Brady. I know about that, too, you parasite. Okay, okay, get out of here. About your temper, Mr. Addison. Still a funny little high troubleshooter, eh, Fortune? Oh, your tonsils are out of tune, Addison. You crumbs can leave now and take that cheap crook quarterback with you. Take one more step, Addison, and I'll bust you back. I did you a favor once and I was paid. That was the end of it. I'm going to win with the bombers tomorrow. You and no one else will stop me. We caught a cab outside of the Silver Cradle and journeyed uptown like relatives in the last funeral car. Nora Casey sat next to Brady and caressed his hand gently. It did nothing for him, but it made me very nervous. After all this glib repartee, the cab stopped in front of the St. Francis Hotel. Casey bid us goodnight, and as he turned to go inside, his mind seemed to leave his face. We moved on. All the way to Brady's joint, he kept talking so much about Casey, uh, I kind of wished he was my father. We reached Brady's apartment at the Regis Hotel. Good night, Nora. I thought we'd have a bite. Uh, I got some things to do. Letters, you know. What's the matter, Jerry? I don't understand. Well, there's nothing wrong, baby. I just want to be alone. But I thought we... Please, Nora. Some other time, huh? Uh, Thanks, Fortune. You're 500 bucks welcome, pal. Uh, Will you see Nora home? I'll be looking all the way. Where to, Nora? Drexel Apartments. Drexel Apartments, Gabby. There's nothing worse than listen to a dame crying over another guy. I played like Mr. Anthony and went for Nora's whole hike. I turned down another drinking invite, took a rain check and phone number, and then headed home. I grabbed myself a quick belt and dropped into my favorite chair, and I was getting ready to doze off. Yeah? How did your date with Brady and Addison go? I'm home, ain't I? It was Casey with you. Sure, happy boy. So is his daughter. It's 11.30 now. Uh, what time did you leave him? Brady, his whistle-bait daughter and me, dropped him off at the St. Francis Hotel about 9.30. Why? They found Casey bouncing around the pavement a half hour ago. You better come down here. Look, Fortune, the heat's on and I ain't playing. A wit is one thing, murder's another. And you, as usual, are right in the middle of it. Now, I want some answers. Okay, okay. How do you fit in the picture? Brady hired me to keep him in one piece. Who was going to break him? I don't know. Bert Addison, maybe. Brady and Casey turned him down cold. There were a few words, and Casey belted Addison in the kisser. I never thought it was suicide, anyhow. We'd better visit Addison. Yeah. If Potbelly and his boys did it, they're cooling off. The thing to do is to watch Brady. The helmet kid is next if he don't play ball. And I know he won't go for the fix. Yeah, well, let's go see him. You make it, Sarge. I want to look around a bit. Got the world on a string. Da-da-dee-da-da-da. Call it fortune. This ain't no pipe in your back. First come Jack. Uh, I got his water gun, Pete. What's this, a heist? We're going to take a ride, chum. I 
two playmates are over six well-stacked feet. Solid muscle extended from the feet right up between the ears. I had a hunch about him, but no one to tell it to, so I make like Jack Horner. A few minutes later, we stopped in front of a swelling in a popping house. I get hustled upstairs and shoved into a seat. Pete went into the next room to get the boss. We meet again, Fortune. Yeah. You may be a big wheel of these crumbs, but you're just a tinker-totter to me, Addison. Look, Fortune, you're an honest guy. You're legit and all... Flattery gets you no place. I respect you and further... I didn't know you cared, Cherub. This is one time I'm playing it your way. It looks like it. Give him his gun. <laughs> what do I do now? Play heroics? Look, Fortune, I've done lots of things. I play close to the law. A mile outside. All of... right, but I'm no murderer. I'm offering you a job. For instance? Find Casey's murderer. I'm being penciled in for a frame. I didn't have to knock him off. I had my deal. Tell him, Pete. I work at the bar at the cradle till eight. Brady came in a little after seven and saw the boss. So what? I don't expect you to believe me. I laid 50 grand on him. He was going to pull wrong plays all night. He came back with you and Casey to make it look good. What are you building? Take a look at these. A hundred grand worth of bets on the Tigers. So what? I bet that loot at 8.15 p.m. after I met Brady. Why do you want to hire me? I can't afford a bum rap. Find the thing. I might wind up at your back door. What's the tariff? Five G's. All counted with your pudgy little fingers. <laughs> That's cheap. You're on a level. Well, count it. You mean I can leave without lumps or anything? Yeah. Hey. I'd like to do something before I go. Name it. I didn't like the way he frisked me. I'll check with you at the cradle, fat boy. I grabbed a one-eyed cab that was creeping up the street and headed for the St. Francis Hotel. I wanted to find out about Casey's bounce. I laid a sawbuck on the desk clerk for which he tipped me onto a bellboy named Perkins. Perkins, it seems, had a tidbit to talk about, and I found him down in the service department. Are you Perkins? What's even you, Dad? Conversation? I don't gas with no strangers. Blow time. Tell me about Casey. I ain't talking till I see my lawyer. Try this double saw buck for size. Okay, man. Casey, call for ice water. I breeze up in five minutes, and as I reach the door, I hear yakking, so I listen. Some square's coming on real strong. Tells Casey they can make a big killing, but Casey starts singing the cop blues. Then I hear scuffling and a window opening, and then quiet. I got scared and took off down the hall. What time was that? Somewhere near ten, maybe later. Did you see anyone? Hmm? Twenty more do it. Love that long green. Start singing. Saw Jerry Brady come out of the room. Brady, huh? Yeah. Look, hipster. I'm no patsy and I don't dig hypos <clears throat> late on me. I'm no square and I get mad easy. Brady was with me at 10 at his hotel. Hey, take it easy, Mac. I'm, I'm fragile. So he's got an alibi. But I saw Brady. Now do me something. 
All right, Bob, you saw Brady. Tell the cops the same tale. I left Perkins, grabbed a cab, and headed to the Regis Hotel Apartments. I wanted to check on Brady. I called his apartment from the lobby. He was out. When the desk clerk slapped his eyes back to the racing form, I slipped upstairs to his room. I turned the joint upside down and came up with a couple of needles in a haystack. Headed back to the lobby where I made three calls. A, Nora Casey. I needed her for the bait. B, Sergeant Finger. I needed him for the cloak and dagger bit. C, Bert Addison. He was right about the 50 grand and I wanted to deliver his fink. He said they'd meet me right away. Hi, Nora. I'm worried sick. What's the matter? Your call sounded so urgent, and after what happened to Dad, I'm afraid, Rocky. Look, you'd like to see this thing cleared up, wouldn't you, honey? Well, how can you... Of course I would. Well, then you got to help me, but tears ain't going to make it. What do you want me to do? you got to play a scene. Just do like I tell you. If you do it, we can clear this whole thing up. I'll do it. Good. Now, look, Brady should be back in a couple of minutes. We'll give him time to get up to his apartment. Then you go up and play like nothing's happened. But what has happened? I'm not sure yet, but you got to trust me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There goes Brady now. Look, we'll give him time to get upstairs. I don't understand you. You don't think Jerry... Why, Rocky, you can't I think... I said you have to trust me. I do. Good. Now go on up. And just be yourself. If things jam up, I'll be around. Nora, Jerry. Oh, just a minute. Nora, baby, come in. I called you earlier from the police station. Yeah, well, I must have been having dinner. Are you, uh, going somewhere? Eh, uh, packing stuff I won't be needing. All your clothes? Uh, after tomorrow, I'll be getting some new stuff. What's the matter with you? Oh, I'm just being a woman, I guess. You didn't pack my picture. <laughs> Oh, well, I was saving that for last. What's happened to us, Jerry? <laughs> I was emphasized. I don't know. Never kissed you like that before, did I? Felt like I never kissed you before. Hello? Hello? What's keeping you? I'm on my way. Where are you going, Nora? I'm going to freshen my makeup. It's smeared it. Who are you talking to? The love of my life. Nora Casey. What's the address? 123 East 24th Street, apartment 3. 123 East 24th Street, apartment 3. Be there right away. Got the money? Yeah. See ya. Come here, Cuddles. No. Oh. How does that feel? You're hurting me. If you don't do what I tell you, I'll mash every bone in your pink little body. Understand, baby? I needn't tell you, I lost my guts when we got up to Brady's apartment. It looked pretty helpless until Potbelly Addison discovered Nora's message. With lipstick, she scrawled an address on the bathroom medicine cabinet. 123 East 24th Street, apartment 3. We sprinted out of the room, made an express out of the elevator, dodged through the lobby and barreled into the patrol car. All the way over to 24th Street, I felt like a drunk ready to pass up the next round. Fingers sat like a stone sphinx, and Fatso Addison fooled with a cigarette with nervous fingers. I just couldn't keep my numb mind off apartment three. 
sent you up to that hotel room? No one. All right, let's try it again. Who sent you up to that? Look him again. Hey, what's with her? Yeah, she's on the verge of talking, ain't you, doll? Talk to Moose and me. Please, leave me alone. Hey, look at lady. I'll squash your skull, and I ain't kidding. Who sent you up? Hey, if that's the cops, lady, she passed out. Put her on the bed. I'll get the door. Who is it? Bert Otterson. What you want? I want to talk to Brady. Let him in. Hey, what is this? Okay, muscle brain, get back and put your hands up. Finger, cover Brady. Uh, what's the matter? You guys nuts? Shut up, you bum. Get moving, mister. Watch him, finger. I'll look after Miss Casey. How are you feeling, kid? Thank God you're here, Rocky. <laughs> they beat me, so... Nice guys. Can you manage? I'm all right now. Look in the other room. He needs help. Worked him over, too, huh? Finger? Come here. Give Addison the gun. He's got 50 grand wrapped up in the scam. If they pull anything, don't be afraid to use it. All right, Sergeant. Okay, Fortune, surprise me. Take a look. I'm looking. Who is it? Why don't you stop using those eye drops? Take a good look. What? That's Brady. Yeah, and he sure ain't gonna play tomorrow. Well, what about the thing that... Twin brother. The old double reverse bit. I'll explain the whole thing later. Shoot, I'm jumping. Don't be a jerk, Buster. It's a long way down. Wound him, Addison. That feet won't shoot. Guy covers. Ah! The money's still floating down. Why didn't you shoot, Addison? I never shot a gun in my life. I believe him, Sarge. You better call headquarters and have him collect the pieces. Let's get the show on the road. <laughs> back to town, I briefed the eminent Sergeant Finger with the unobvious details. Nora rode back with Jerry Brady, who came around. But he could only talk to her by Braille. They were both nursing a batch of Purple Hearts, and Addison rode with us. He was quiet, like a guy with so many thoughts he was double-parking him. Finger dropped me off at my place with a promise to check later. And except for wear and tear, I was 5,500 bucks richer. I was counting how many more defense bonds I could buy when they dumped me off. And I was glad to get home. Artificial arm and leg. Very funny, Fortune. Uh, if it is a Sergeant Finger Boy cop, what's on your alleged mind? I got some reports for you to sign tomorrow. Addison canceled out all his bets, says he's going to sell the Tigers and go legit. He's still a mile outside the law. Yeah, so's the corner bookie. Uh, got the album in the letters. He was right, Fortune. The twin escaped from an asylum. Jerry Brady was hiding him out. Picked up Perkins. He established the time. The reason he didn't see Moose was because they split up. Hey, hey, F Fortune. You listening? Uh, sure, needle noise. I'm listening. Well, the Moose worked Casey over, but the twin dumped him. Moose cracked under questioning, and then he How's went... the weather, Sarge? Getting cold. I'll buy you some musk for your blue little ears. So long, Sarge. Hey, Fortune. Fortune, hey. Hey, Rocky, you... Ah, what's the use?
NBC has presented Frank Sinatra as that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. Others in tonight's cast included Bert Holland, Lou Krugman, Ted Bonelts, Maurice Hart, Joe Forte, Bibby Janice, Eddie Fields, Lee Millar, and Jack Mather. Tonight's script was written by Doc Stanford. Andrew C. Love directed. Andy Love was a director. Ooh, that sounded uh, a little Valentine's Day ish over <laughs> there, Carl. Football Fix, February 2nd, 1954, starring the chairman of the board himself, Frank Sinatra, in Rocky Fortune. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. You know, if I did that fight for uh, Air Climb, Air Climb <laughs> if I did that, yep. you'd need to find a new host. I yeah, wouldn't survive it. I believe that to be the case. Walking up all those stairs. Well, you know, it's... it's the, the, it would be the WGN Radio I, Theater starring uh, Lisa Wolf. Are you talking about your heart, your lungs, your knees, your joints? I couldn't make joints? it. I just would not be able to make <laughs> you it. You could take the elevator. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And uh, you could cheer the fan. You could cheer everybody on. Could, yeah, I you could, could do be that. a cheerleader. That I could do. You would make a great cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me the pom-poms. Rah, rah. <laughs> So uh, we lost uh, uh, an icon this week in Kirk Douglas, Michael Douglas's dad. And uh, so, you know, I found something pretty rare. He was not known as a singer, but he appeared on the Doris Day show, November 25th, 1952. You know, they had uh, starred in a movie together. They were good friends. She had him on her show, the Doris Day show. And she uh, coaxed him into singing a duet with her. Maybe he wanted to do it. Maybe it didn't take much coaxing. <laughs> so uh, it's about a seven-minute clip. It's a lot of fun. Here is Kirk Douglas guest starring on the Doris Day Show. Hush, hush, hold everything. Howdy, Miss Day. But we'll have to do that number over again. Why, Kirk Douglas. number again. Needs much more production. Now, the way I see it, it's a sentimental song, right? Uh-huh. Okay. We suspend the orchestra in midair in the shape of a big heart. Then you come sailing through on a king-size arrow. You're made up to look like Cupid, and then... Kirk, hold it. Yeah. I've got it. You are Jonathan Shields, big Hollywood producer, as played by Kirk well... Douglas in the soon-to-be-released picture... The bad and the beautiful. Thanks, Doris. In fact, thanks twice. One for the plug and one for recognizing the part. Well, now, there's never any trouble recognizing the parts you play, Kirk. In my opinion, you are one of Hollywood's greatest actors. Uh, what'd you say? I said, in my opinion, you are one of Hollywood's greatest actors. That's what I thought you said. I'd just like to hear you say it. <laughs> Kirk, is it true that once you really learn a part, you never forget it? Doris, unfortunately, yes. Why, unfortunately? Well, recently I was doing a scene with Lana Turner. And all of a sudden, my mind went blank. I forgot my lines. With Lana Turner? Uh, my lines, not hers. <laughs> <laughs> I to think of were the parts I played as a fighter and champion, a hard-boiled cop, a detective story, and an Indian fighter in the big sky. Wow, must have been confusing, huh? It was. I didn't know whether to hit her, grill her, or last to her. <laughs> I know you take all your parts seriously, Kirk. Remember Young Man with the Horn? Never forget it, Doris. You know, there were a lot of great tunes in that picture. Ah, oh, there certainly were, Kirk. It'd be nice to hear one of them again. Say, how about I May Be Wrong, huh? Well, do it right. Well, 
singing goes, I'm strictly a shower man. I need water pouring over me to give me the rhythm. <laughs> well, in that case, I guess we'll have to do it the hard way, old boy. Hmm? Stay right there and I'll go connect the hose. <laughs> <laughs> let's just take it. What do we sing? Say, remember the old blues number, I'm Red Hot Henry Brown? Well, the script says I do, so let's try. <laughs> I'm Red Hot Henry Brown, the hottest man in town. That red hot mama that you heard about Took a look at me and her fire went out wow. Cause I'm a man that's hard to find Cause I'm the red hot stepping kind I got a heat and stove for Christmas from a gal named Ann Had to take it back and change it for an electric fan Cause when I hotty totsy round They call me red hot Henry Brown Be my guest, Miss Day, be my guest <laughs> He's a red hot Henry Brown Show sure now man in town went to Alaska about a year ago. Cause they sent for me just to melt the snow. He's a man that's hard to beat. The inventor of steam. Say when he goes into a big cafe then it's no joke. Soon as I walk in the place begins to fill with smoke. Cause when we hot beat topsy round. They call me Red Hot Henry Brown. They call him Red Hot Henry Brown. Yes sir, I'm Red Kirk Douglas there singing a duet with Doris Day from November 25th, 1952 on the Doris Day Show. So uh, who's leading in the texts from our listeners of best movie um, for we uh, had tomorrow a, night? A lot of people said 1917. Yeah. A few people said Little Women. and No. We- well, they, I saw it. It's not going to Well, that win. might be, but they did say it. And yeah. It's not going to win. <laughs> That's probably true. No way. And we had a few people saying Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We had one person, one person, I think, who said Marriage Story. Uh, I did see that movie. Um, I didn't. I don't think it's going to win, but no. I don't think it's your kind of movie. My, my prediction... Once upon a time in Hollywood. No, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, I already no. predicted that. Well, we're both. We both. But you, 
You said 1917. No, I said Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, you said 1917. In our next hour, The Great Gildersleeve, a Valentine's show. Valentine's next week, Lisa. I know. I hope you... Hour three of the WGN Radio Theater. We are here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, unless we are preempted for sports. But we have the full... We're going to have full five hours hours tonight uh, unfortunately next weekend it's a little bit shorter yeah uh, we'll be starting a little bit late at twelve thirty a.m to a we'll, hawks. hawks game but we'll still be here until yeah. 3 a.m next yes, weekend indeedy in this hour we have a valentine's episode of the great gildersleeve my f- uh, brother's least favorite radio show and that's your most favorite uh, holiday i believe <laughs> valentine's day am i correct no i didn't think so but you know the thing is my brother doesn't like the he the laugh on right. Gilder's sleeve, but um, when Willard Waterman took over in 1950, he did not do that laugh. Right. So if my brother's listening, he should be okay. You're okay because there's no. I'll do it a few times. Okay. I'll stop the <laughs> yeah, I'm broadcast. Sure you'll annoy him enough. I'll, I'll I'll break into the broadcast and do the he. Although that laugh has become you know really iconic and uh, it is Hal I mean, Perry. You know, this show, the uh, Great Gildersleeve, it started as a character on Fibber McGee and Molly. Hal Perry played this character, Gildersleeve, and he had that, like, that laugh, right? And he was uh, Fibber McGee's next-door neighbor, and they used to argue all the time. But the character was so popular that it became radio's first spinoff into its own show. And we have a Gildersleeve episode for you coming up in just a few minutes called Mayor's Valentine's Party with Willard Waterman as Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Before we do that, though, we'll have Just the Facts from 1953. So stick around. Just a moment ago, we heard a Woodman's commercial. Don't forget, folks, we still have our promotion with Woodman's. If you shop at Woodman's, which we hope you will, and you then take your receipt, it doesn't matter even if you just buy a stick of gum for, like, a Can dollar. you buy one stick of gum? No, I don't think I didn't so think anymore. So. No. No, I used to get those at the penny you you know, buy one candy stick? store. Remember those? Oh, yeah. I used to go into a, a, a candy store right down the block from my house, and you could buy one stick of gum. It was I like could a penny. buy like a bazooka, which was one piece no, of gum. No, they had sticks I of don't, gum. I don't remember that. Yeah, well, anyway, if you go to Woodman's and you shop there, which I do, you save a lot of money. I'll tell you what. You, save a, you get a lot of food, and you save a lot of money. But you also get some classic radio shows. Take a photo of your receipt from Woodman's. Email it to us here at woodmanswgn at gmail.com. woodmanswgn at gmail.com. And we'll uh, send you 12 classic radio shows on uh, digital download links. So you'll get some great shows. And we change it up every month. So shop every month, at least once a month, at Woodman's. Send in a picture of your receipt. Just take a you know, take a photo with your with your iPhone. I hope you go shopping more than once a month. Mm, yeah, I do. Probably <laughs> like every three weeks. Hmm. Yeah, I try to that's why Avoid I like that. <laughs> that's why I'm so happy that Woodman's you know, carts are so big. They're huge. Huge carts. I load them up with food. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really, really do. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. 
That dragnet music denotes that we are about to play Just the Facts, brought to you by Cat's Pride. This hour, we will be playing the great Gildersleeve, as you just just mentioned, from 1953. And I've got some 1953 very, very popular TV shows. See if you can name them. The first one, one of my all-time favorite shows. I love Lucy. I love Lucy. That's yeah. the best. You so, can see I love Lucy on Antenna TV. Absolutely. I still watch it there. It mm-hmm. originally ran on CBS from uh, October 1951 to May 1957. A total of 180 half-hour episodes spanning wow. six seasons. There wasn't so, a bad one in the bunch. There was All not. Funny. And, of course, she starred with her real-life husband, yeah. Desi Arnaz. Yeah. Okay, number two. I think you'll get this one just as well. This is Dragnet, which was uh, later syndicated as Badge 714, 714, Mm -hmm. a TV series, of course, based on the radio series, both created by their star... Jack, Jack Webb. Webb. And of course, he reprised his radio role of Los Angeles police detective, Sergeant Joe Friday. Yep. You All can right. see those on Antenna TV. The best of the These best. Are all like Antenna TV shows. Now, this third one, I will admit that I was not familiar with. I okay. learned a little bit about it in my research. Let's see if you know it. Oh, oh, talent Scouts, yeah. You know, it's a radio one? show. It, it started that way. So. This was a 30-minute talent competition, really a reality TV show, even yeah. back in the 50s. Oh, yeah. He had guests on, on and yeah, talked CBS, to them. Yes, Arthur Godfrey was the host, and um, he found the contestants. He sent out talent scouts so looking for them. Mm-hmm. The performers do their act, and the audience, of course, applauds. Yeah. And there was the audio meter. Well, you know, the th- it's crazy because all of these shows today that you see, like, you know, America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's really, it's really it's the just, same thing. It was really just like American Idol, but it was in the 40s and 50s. It wasn't only s- singing, though. There was all kinds of talent things on there. Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, I, I know. mostly singing, but I know, there was but, all kinds of stuff. I didn't, it's more like I didn't, America's Got Talent. I didn't really mean it. It was like American Idol because it was just singing, but it was just basically you, you get up there, you perform, and it's all based on the people and their responses and their votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really a reality competition. Do you know, you know how back big in the Arthur 40s. Godfrey was in his day? I mean, his radio show was was really big, and his TV show was huge. That show was massive. I know. Well, that's popular. why I was mm-hmm. <laughs> I was noting it. So that's a little a little taste of 1953. Very cool. Thanks, Lisa. Sure. All right. Well, Valentine's Day is uh, the 14th Friday coming up this week. Where are you and Dan going for Valentine's Day? Are you going to celebrate? Uh, a little bit. Well. We'll have a, a, a nice evening out. <laughs> uh, that sounds good. All right. Well, we have a Valentine's Day. Uh, actually, it's a couple of days before Valentine's, February 11th, 1953. But uh, the mayor, uh, Mayor Terwilliker, to, 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 uh, wait. T-E-R Williger, Terwilliger's formal dress party. You, ha- you have to be mispronouncing Terwilliger. it. <laughs> that can't be right. Terwilliger. We'll listen. We'll figure it out. It's Terwilliger. I doubt it. Yeah. Okay. It is. Will uh, <laughs> Terwilliger. <laughs> Another chance. And you have, uh, you have a, a very funny radio. This was on a long, long time. Gildersleeve was um, was really the first spinoff in radio history. It started in 1940, uh, and uh, you know an episode of... Uh, uh, Fimmergy and Molly was where Gildersleeve became very popular. And at first, when the Gildersleeve show became its own program, 
Gildersleeve uh, ran a girdle factory. He ran a girdle factory, but soon he became the water commissioner of Summerfield. That was his main job. But through most of the 1940s, Leroy, played by Walter Tetley, remained 10, 11 years old. So he never grew up. But by the spring of 1949, I think the writers were like, this kid's got to grow up here. He's been a kid for, you know, a decade. So he became a teenager by about 49, 50, 51. And then... Here's another thing. Gildy's secretary, Bessie, played by Gloria Holiday, became Mrs. Harold Perry in real life. He married his secretary from the radio show. I, that sounds like it could have mimicked real life. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a TV series, a 1955 TV series that only lasted 39 episodes. Willard Waterman, who was playing Gildersleeve at the time, played you know Gildersleeve on TV. There were four movies, four Movies of Gildersleeve, Great Gildersleeve, 1942, Gildersleeve's Bad Day, 1943, along with Gildersleeve on Broadway from 1943, and then Gildersleeve, uh, Gildersleeve's Ghost, 1944. All of those star the originator of the character, Hal Perry. So let's go back to February 11th, 1953, a Valentine's Day show. Uninterrupted, now here's the great Gildersleeve. The Kraft Foods Company presents Willard Waterman as the Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you, partially transcribed, by the Kraft Foods Company. Are you using the new salad and cooking oil that was perfected in salad dressing headquarters? It's Kraft Oil, the most wonderful oil ever created for homemade salad dressings, for fine baking, and for frying. An exclusive Kraft process gives Kraft Oil a lighter body, and that's why it's different from ordinary oils. Kraft Oil blends faster and better with the other ingredients any recipe calls for. Get a bottle of lighter-bodied Kraft Oil when you're shopping tomorrow. For a number of years now, the great Gildersleeve has enjoyed his position as city water commissioner. It carries a certain dignity and wields a certain influence. All in all, it's a happy situation, and the great Gildersleeve will go to great lengths to preserve it. Hey, Unc, why did you want me down here at the office this afternoon? Leroy, there's a lot to be done. The mayor said he'd be in before closing time, and we want to be on the ball. I don't get it. It looks good to have a relative working in the office who isn't on the payroll. Gosh, I could be out playing basketball. You can do this for your old uncle. The mayor likes to see a busy office. What'll I do? You can stuff the water bills in the envelopes and lick the stamps. Before dinner? <laughs> Leroy, use a sponge. Okay, right after I type a letter to our dog. Yes, yes. You know, we ought to name that dog. I'm writing him a letter and I don't even know who to send it to. If you have anything to tell the dog, phone him. I wouldn't want the mayor to come in and catch you wasting water department stationery on a great day. I'll just write one page. Dear dog. Leroy, cut out the monkey shines. This is dog shines. Hey. <laughs> well, get that out of the typewriter. I don't want the mayor to see it. Okay. Uncle, why are you so afraid of the mayor? I'm not afraid of him. 
I respect him. He's my boss. And he can cut off your water, huh? Young man, I'm the one who cuts off the water around here. I mind my business and he minds his. Why, the mayor wouldn't dare to... Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hello, Gildersleeve. Uh, Mayor Twilliger, do you know my nephew, Leroy? Oh, yes. Hello, Leroy. Hi. Having fun playing with the city typewriter? Yeah. Uh, Leroy is just down here helping me, Mr. Mayor. A lot to do, you know. Oh? He's sending out statements to the customers. Is this one here? Dear Dog. <laughs> well... Gildersleeve, I knew the water department had a lot of new consumers, but I didn't know we had any dogs on the books. I'm sorry, Mr. Mayor. Leroy was just writing a note to our great dame. Oh. Uh, Gildersleeve, you've never been to my house, have you? No, I haven't. I've driven past it, but I've never gotten inside. Well, I'd like to have you come over next Saturday night. Me? I'm giving a Valentine's Day party to a very select group. Oh. Uh, besides our friends, Mrs. DeWilliger and I always invite a city official. Well. Uh, this year, it's your turn. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, you may bring somebody if you wish. How about me, Unc? Uh, Leroy, he means bring a girl. Uh, a lady. Uh, don't you, Mr. Mayor? Naturally. Uh, shall I dress? Black tie. Black tie? Is that all you're going to wear? <laughs> Leroy. being invited to the mayor's. By George Gildersleeve, you're getting up in the world. <laughs> I think I'll drop in and tell Petey about it. Hello, Petey. Well, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> what can I do for you today? Petey, I just had a long talk with the mayor. Called you on your carpet, did he? Not at all. As a matter of fact, he wants the water commissioner to come to his home. Something wrong with the plumbing? <laughs> <laughs> Petey, stop he invited me to a Valentine party. Valentine? My, my. Going to be quite an affair, Petey. A lot of important people will be there. And only one city official. Me. You don't care. Yeah. The mayor says I can bring anybody I want. Of course, that presents a problem. Nobody wants to go with you. <laughs> anybody would jump at the opportunity to go. But I don't know whether to ask Grace Tuttle or Leela Ransom. Well, that is quite a decision to make. Uh, Peavy, whom would you take? I'd take Mrs. Peavy. I'd have to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Put yourself in my shoes. Very yeah, well. Now, you've worked for the mayor for 11 years, and he's never invited you to one of his parties. Stuffed shirt. <laughs> but at last, he invites you. Who would you take? I'd take a baseball bat and hit him right across the chart. <laughs> Peavy, I'm serious. Joe, <laughs> my, this duck-up little potter pigeon. <laughs> oh, friend. Will you lay off the mayor and help me with my problem? Well, seriously, Mr. Gildersleeve, I, I'd find it difficult to choose between Mrs. Ransom and Miss Tuttle. Yeah, they're both very attractive. Yes, indeed. They both dress well. They're both good dancers. I'm sure they are. Of course, Grace is more reserved. Mm, yes. Well, Leela is more the sentimental and romantic type. Yeah, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> you know how she comes in here, chucks you under the chin and says, Hello, Mr. Peavy, you cute little old man, you. <laughs> Mr. Gillespie, 
If I were you, I'd say tut tut to tuttle and run for ransom. <laughs> Yes, Bertie. If I'd known you'd come home so soon, I'd have rolled out the red carpet. What's this? Leroy told me about you getting invited to the man. Well. Yes, sir. The water commissioner's going to make a big splash. Yeah. I guess I'd better phone and rent that same tuxedo I had New Year's Eve. Yes, if it's a big party, you better phone before all the stylish stouts are gone. Yeah, but first, I have to decide about my date. I'm weighing Miss Tuttle and Mrs. Ransom carefully. How much do they weigh? <laughs> Leroy, I'm trying to decide which one I should take to the party. Well, you can't go wrong with either one. Yeah, that's true, Bertie. I think Leela might be a little more fun. That Miss Ransom can sure liven up a party. Yeah, she has a lot of spirit. <laughs> Remember the going-away party you gave her and she saved it by dancing to Charleston? Yeah, Bertie, I wouldn't say she saved it. She certainly made it interesting. Yes, sir. You know... Leela might be a little too lively for the mayor and his wife. Well, I don't know. The mayor hires some pretty snazzy-looking secretaries. That's business, Leroy. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. The mayor is strictly business. And looking at it from all angles, Miss Tuttle might be the one to take to the mayor's party. What do you think, Bertie? Mr. Gillespie, you can't miss if you just shut your eyes and grab. Well, this is no grab bag, Bertie. Yeah, I think I'll call Grace right now. Yes, sir. It won't hurt to take a level-headed girl. Show the mayor I have my feet on the ground. As far as Leela's concerned, she doesn't even have to know I'm going to the party. Hello? Grace, this is Throckmorton. Oh, yes, Throckmorton. I don't suppose anybody's asked you to a Valentine's party. Just how do you mean that? <laughs> what I mean is, if you're not busy Saturday evening, are you? Well, a long line is already forming in front of my door, but what do you have in mind? Perhaps I can move you up. Well, the mayor has honored me with an invitation to his home. I'd like to have you go with me. That's wonderful, Throckmorton. I'd love to. You're very sweet to think of me. Well, I've given it a lot of thought. It's formal, I hope. Yes, indeed. Very. I'm just dying to wear an evening dress again. Yeah, I like to wear them, too. Yeah, tuxedo, I mean. <laughs> Let's say I pick you up around 7 Saturday. I'll be ready. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm glad you're looking forward to it. Goodbye, Grace. Goodbye, Throckmorton. You all set with Miss Tuttle, Unc? Yep. Glad I called her. Being a school teacher, she'll fit right in with the Tony people the mayor will invite. She has dignity, poise, charm. Yeah, and if the party starts dying, you can send for Mrs. Ransom to come to the Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> George, I've got a lot of work to do today. Before I clear the desk, I think I'll see what's in the morning paper. Well, here's a big announcement of the mayor's party. Summerfield's elite anticipating Mayor Twilliger's dinner dance. See, it's a pretty important shindig. Gets it right up before it happens. Yeah, let's see. They haven't listed the guests. Throckmorton? Uh-oh. It's Leela. Throckmorton, are you in my house? Come in, Leela. I wonder if she read about the party and came down here for a reason. Good 
morning, Throckmorton. Hello, Mila. Aren't you out a little early this morning? Well, I had some shopping to do. Yeah, but the stores aren't open. Well, I know you won't mind if I wait here until they are. Oh, no. Delighted to see you. Sit down. <sighs> Thank you. I see you're reading the morning paper. The paper? I read it hours ago. Oh. I suppose you noticed the mayor's giving a party Saturday night. Oh, yes? Oh, it's right there under your nose. Summerfield's A-lead anticipating Mayor Terwilliger's dinner dance. Well, well, well. So the mayor's giving a party. How about that? You sound like it's news to you. Well, that's why they print newspapers. News. Throckmorton, aren't you invited? It's a strange thing, Leela. I've never been to the mayor's house. Are you going this time? As long as I've worked for the mayor, I've never been in his house. Are you invited? Eleven years. I've never once been in his house. Throckmorton, are you going to his party? The mayor has a party every year, and I've never been there. Throckmorton, did he invite you to the party Saturday night? Answer yes or no. You well, Leela? Oh, I shouldn't have asked you that. I'm sorry, Throckmorton. I should know if you're going to Mayor Terwilliger's party, you'd have asked me long ago. <laughs> After all, it's a Valentine party. Throckmorton. Now, Leela, perhaps you shouldn't sit on the arm of my chair. This is a business office. Throckmorton. Yes, Leela. Am I your Valentine? Well. Gildersleeve. Oh, no, you're Mr. Mayor. Uh, yes, I, uh, I hope I'm not interrupting the flow of business in the water department. You? No, no, not at all. I was just chatting with a, a friend of mine. Oh. Well, glad you dropped in, Mrs. Ransom. What's wrong, Martin? Aren't you going to introduce me to his honor? You? Yes. Excuse me. Uh, Mayor Twilliger, allow me to present Mrs. Leela Ransom. How do you do, Mrs. Ransom? Oh, Mr. Mayor, I'm delighted to meet you. Thank you. Uh, now, Gildersleeve, about these new water mains... Well, I've seen your picture in the paper countless times. Uh, naturally. As I was about to say, Gildersleeve... And now uh... that I see you in person, your pictures don't do you justice. Uh, oh? You look so young for a mayor. Uh, oh, well. <clears throat> uh, you were speaking about the water mains, Mr. Mayor. Gildersleeve, you're interrupting the lady. I... Oh, uh, sorry. Well, I'm the one who's interrupting your business, but I hope you don't mind a girl telling you how distinguished you look, Your Honor. And uh, if you don't mind, permit me to say Commissioner Gildersleeve has a very charming friend. <laughs> oh, Mr. Mayor. Oh, brother. <laughs> well, I really must be skipping along. I never did believe a woman should just drop into an office and take up a man's time, even if Throckmorton is my best beau. So that's how it is, eh, Gildersleeve? Well, I've known Leela for quite a while, Mr. Mayor. Wonderful. I suppose we'll be seeing you at my party tomorrow night, Mrs. Ransom? Why, Mr. Mayor, I'd be just tickled to death. I'm not tickled, but I'm dead. (laughs) 
seems something always comes along to upset the great Gildersleeve's apple cart. If something doesn't come along, he manages to upset it himself. Aunt, how did you happen to invite two girls to the same party? Leroy, I didn't invite both of them. I invited Miss Tuttle. Didn't I, Bertie? All I know is I saw Miss Ransom in the market and she said you was taking her. Well, the mayor put me on the spot. The minute I introduced him to Leela, he assumed she was going to the party with me. Why didn't you just tell the mayor you already had a date? Leroy, it's not too easy to say you have another date in front of Leela. <laughs> she's counting big on going, all right. Yeah. She was telling me in the market what she's going to wear. Oh? Miss Ransom said she was wearing the same outfit that knocked them dead last year at the Mardi Gras. Where's that? Leroy, that's a big blowout in New Orleans every year. Yeah? What did she wear, Bertie? Black lace over peach-colored satin. Leroy. Okay. Yeah. Go on, Bertie. That's it. Black lace over peach-colored satin and peeping over a black lace fan. Well, Leela always did know how to dress. When Miss Ransom glides in, I can see that party stop. She's going to knock them dead, peeping over that black lace fan. Yeah, all right, Bertie. Miss Gilsey, you know Miss Ransom's going to do that party? Yes, Bertie. That's right. She's going to knock them dead, peeping over that black lace fan. <laughs> Well, there must be some way out of this. Why don't you get smart and get out of town? <laughs> don't be silly. I got a good excuse for you. What is it? Tell your girls our great Dane is homesick and you have to take him back to Canada. <laughs> don't be ridiculous. There's only one thing to do. Yeah? Just go over to Leela's and tell her the truth. Truth never hurt anybody. Well, in case the girls don't know that, which hospital will you be in? <laughs> Leroy. should have done this in the first place. I'll just explain to Leela that I had a date with Grace all along. What can she do? I wonder what she will do. Well, I still say the truth never hurt anybody. <laughs> nice quiet day. Hello, Leela. I didn't expect to see you this afternoon. Yeah, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, may I come in? For a minute. You're just in time to take me to the beauty parlor. So before you spend the money, let me tell you why I came over. What's happened, Throckmorton? Well, Leela? Leela? I can't take you to the mayor's party. Would you mind repeating that? Yes, I would. It was hard enough to say the first time. <laughs> This change of heart, I'd like to know. There's no change of heart. It's just that I never did ask you to go to the party. What's wrong, Martin? When the mayor met you in the office, he just assumed I was bringing you. As a matter of fact, I had already made other plans. Who is she? Not that I wouldn't just soon take you, Leela. Or even rather. Who is she? Well, Leela, when I don't take you out, you know who I take out. Yeah, I mean... Shrock Martin, I think Grace Tuttle is a lovely girl. Oh, I knew you'd understand. Of course I do. But I wonder if his honor, Mayor Terwilliger, will. Mayor Terwilliger? Your boss. You, well, 
He's expecting you to bring me to his party. Well, I know he suggested and it. And if but... I were you, I'd consider that a command performance. What? What would the mayor say if he knew you were disobeying his orders and trying to push me out for some other girl? Yeah, but Lena... Oh, I'd hate to see you make a faux pas that might blight your entire career. Oop. Leela, we're just wasting our time talking. Oh? Come on, let's get you to the beauty parlor. Well, there's only one thing left to do. Break the date with Grace. I'll just tell her the truth. I'll explain that the mayor invited Leela, and he's expecting me to bring her. I had nothing to do with it. Morton. Hello, Grace. What a surprise. Won't you come in? Hey, thank you. Let me take your hat. No, thanks. I'll just hold it. Uh, Grace, I don't imagine the mayor's party means too much to you. You have your good books and all. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to going. Grace, I must be honest with you. I'm sorry, but I can't take you. Oh? I thought it best to come and put my cards on the table. You don't have one up your sleeve, do you? Grace, you know me better than that. Go on, Throckmorton. You're dealing. Well, it just happens that the mayor made arrangements for me to bring somebody else to his party. I had nothing to do with it. I understand how those things can happen. That's all right. Yeah, at least you had the fun of planning to go. Oh, it's just been ducky. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... Hope this hasn't put you out too much. Oh, not at all. Of course, I've spent my next six months' salary for a party dress, but that's all right. You, well, maybe they'll take it back. They don't, and worst comes to worst, I can always eat it. <laughs> Looks like ice cream anyway. Grace, I'm sorry about this. I wouldn't have had it happen for the world. Forget it, Throckmorton. Oh, Grace, you're a brick. I suspect I'm a little batty, too. <laughs> well, goodbye. Uh, uh, Throckmorton... Yes? Forgive me for being a bit curious, but is the girl you're taking a relative of the mayor's? A relative? Oh, no. Just a friend of the family, I suppose. Well, he just met her. Yeah, I mean... Yes? Oh, what the heck. You'll find it out anyway. It's Leela. Oh, handsome ransom again. <laughs> she was in my office the other day when the mayor came in. Does she make a practice of visiting your office? You know, she just happened in and the mayor assumed I was taking her to the party. Why? Well... He thought she was my girlfriend. Oh, this was after you asked me to go? Well, yes. Why didn't you lay your cards on their table? Well... Drop, Morton. I'm going to trump your ace. What? You're taking me to that party. Oh, Well, in 30 minutes, I'm due at Leela's. The terrible thing is I'm also due at Grace's. You know what a nightmare this night's going to be. I guess I'll stop in Peavy's for a cigar. And at the rate I'm smoking, I'd better make it a box. Hello, Peavy. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. What can I do for you this evening? More cigars, Peavy. Very well. Hmm. You've cut quite a figure in that tux. Yeah. Which young lady did you invite to the marriage party? Both of them. How's that? <laughs> I invited Grace, and then the mayor saw me with Leela and suggested I bring her. What could I do? 
Well, it's a little late to talk about what you could have done. The point is, what are you going to do? Peavy, this is the worst predicament I've ever been in. You don't change. I explained the situation to both girls, but neither one would let me off the hook. <laughs> a big fish like you should be able to get off the hook. <laughs> oh, all right, Peavy. Give me a strong Coke. Then, huh? If I could just think of some good reason for not even showing up. Like an emergency in the water department. Hey, Peavy, do that again. You want two Cokes? <laughs> no, turn on that carbonated water. I want to hear it fizzle. Well, if it amuses you. Right, George, that water gives me an idea. You're going to jump in the reservoir? <laughs> no, I have a bold plan. I'm going to create an emergency right here in your drugstore. Uh, uh, now, wait a minute, Mr. Gilbert. Yeah, I'll turn on all the faucets behind your fountain, bang in the pipes with a hammer, and then get the mayor on the phone. My, my. He'll hear the water running, and I'll tell him I can't come to his party because I'm taking care of an emergency. Right, George, is the best idea I ever had. No, no, I wouldn't say that. What if your mayor finds out? Stand aside, Peavy. I'll turn on the faucets and get on the phone. Mr. Gildersleeve, you're making a mistake. There. Doesn't that sound like a broken water main? It sounds like trouble, all right. Now I'll call the mayor. This will get me out of the dates, and the mayor will respect me for staying on the job. Hello? Is Mayor Twilliger there? He isn't? Oh, hello, Mrs. Twilliger. This is Water Commissioner Gildersleeve. Mr. Gildersleeve. If Mrs. Twilliger, when the mayor comes home, tell him I won't be able to come to the party. Good evening, P.B. I have to stay on duty. What's going on? Why is all the water running? Well, uh, There's a big emergency at the water department, Mr. Twilliger. You can hear me at work. I, I can't believe my eyes. Yeah, that's right, Mrs. Twilliger. So if you'll express my regrets to the mayor... You say he went down to Peavy's drugstore? Gildersleeve! Yeah, oh! The great Gildersleeve will be right back. There's a wonderful new oil that does wonderful new things for homemade salad dressings, baking, and frying. It's Kraft Oil, the oil that's super fine to make it lighter-bodied. Because Kraft Oil is a lighter-bodied oil, it blends faster and better with other ingredients, makes smoother, tastier French dressings, makes cakes and cookies that stay fresh and moist day after day, gives fried foods a tender crispness. Better begin using lighter-bodied Kraft Oil in your kitchen. Get a bottle tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Boy Scout Week. So it seems a good time to congratulate the many fine American families everywhere who have encouraged the Scout movement to the point where today its membership is at an all-time high. Yes, sir, there are more than 3,250,000 Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Explorers, and Adult Leaders. And Leroy... Yeah? I want to congratulate you on your 43rd birthday. 43rd birthday? Me? As a member of the Boy Scouts, my boy. This week, you're celebrating your 43rd birthday. Oh, sure. Hey, Unc. Yes? We need leaders. Have you ever considered joining the Boy Scouts? After what happened to me tonight, I've even thought of joining the Foreign Legion. (laughs) What happened to your two dates? Well, the mayor found escorts for them. 
They're probably having a wonderful time. What do you suppose the mayor's going to say to you tomorrow? Not a thing, my boy. No? He said it all tonight. <laughs> Good night, folks. Great Gildersleeve is played by Willard Waterman. The show is written by John Elliott and Andy White and is partially transcribed. Included in the cast are Walter Tetley, Lillian Randolph, Mary Schiff, Shirley Mitchell, Stanley Farrar, and Dick LeGrand. Musical compositions by Jack Meekin. This is John Heaston saying goodnight for the Kraft Foods Company, makers of the famous line of Kraft quality food products. Be sure to listen in next week and every week for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. Tonight, play You Bet Your Life on NBC. That's a great Gildersleeve uh, going back to a broadcast date of February 11th, 1953. It's a real major problem there. Two women for a party. That is a problem. Invited <laughs> two different women to come to that uh, Valentine's Day party with him. Yeah, well, so, I'm sure everybody's run into that now and then. <laughs> it's very interesting because um, the two ladies, I recognize their voices. The two ladies, one of them was Shirley Mitchell. Right. She played uh, Leela Ransom for a while on this show. And I had the great pleasure of working with her and Willard Waterman on a radio reenactment of Gildersleeve. I played Leroy in it. I remember. So two of the people that were in this broadcast I got to work with, I got to stand next to them at the microphone and do a radio reenactment of Gildersleeve. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm trying to think how many years ago that was. Man, I'm guessing. Before I knew you. Let's see. I'm 24 now. (laughs) (laughs) No, let's see. I'm 56 now. I probably was 30. Yeah. So... Yeah, a little while back, but you have the memories. 20, 26 years ago. Uh, and then but you the other, remember like it was yesterday. You know how much fun that was? I'm playing sure. Playing Leroy. And what an opportunity to meet these people. There's so few of them oh, left I know. today. Well, they're all gone, all of yeah. those people that I just mentioned. But the other woman that he had a date with was uh, Lorene Tuttle, mm-hmm. and they called her Mrs. T- Miss Tuttle on it. So they actually used her real mm-hmm. name as her character name. They probably were like, that's eh, a comedy. Just use her name. And all the writer was probably like, just use Mrs. Tuttle or Miss Tuttle. Kind of sounds like a funny name, Tuttle. Miss Tuttle. She was a uh, school teacher, mm-hmm. and he, he liked her as well. Loreen Tuttle was on so many, so many radio shows. You know, when you talk about William Conrad or John Daner, you know, or Paul Freeze. These these were guys that were on so many radio shows. Yeah. Lorene Tuttle and Virginia Gregg, and um, you know those 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 two women were probably on more radio shows than any other woman. Lorene Tuttle, Kathy Lewis was on a ton of them as well. Um, and I'm trying to think, maybe like um, Jeanette Nolan. That was another big one. She was on a lot of these shows. But you know what it was is. These these producers and directors, they had, you know, they they had these four or five women, four or five guys like Harry Bartel and things. And they were like, we know we're going to get a great performance yeah. out of them. Right. Let's cast them because we know we're not going to waste time. We know they're going to do a tremendous job. 
and they're they have the experience, and that's what they did. And similar to what you do when you do your new time dramas, yeah, and you direct those, and you tend to go back to the same core group of great actors here in Chicago, right? When we were doing the Twilight Zone, we had you know uh, Christian Stolte who is on Chicago uh, Fire. Fire. He uh, he plays Mouch on there. He was in almost every single yeah. one of them, you know. And uh, David Pasquese, yep. another great actor from Chicago. So many, you know, Doug Tim, James, Tim, Tim Kazarinski. Tim yeah. They were all in these shows. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, broadcast of The Great Gildersleeve, sponsored by Kraft. You know, Kraft was the longtime sponsor, yep. Gildersleeve. They were the, sp- the sponsor from 1941, the first year it went on the air, all the way to the end of the run. So that's always nice. See, and it's a small world because I used to work for Kraft, and I now know. I'm talking about Kraft as sponsoring these shows. That's so. crazy. There you go. Philadelphia brand cream cheese, right? That's the one. All right, hope you enjoyed Gildersleeve. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. All right, we have uh, so many loyal listeners out there tuning us in each and every week. Right here on WGN, and we uh, we really appreciate our listeners, and so we wanted to give every single one of you five free classic radio shows. Just go to our website, the number one hundred radioshows dot com. So one zero zero radioshows dot com. If you go there, all you have to do is put your email address in the top of the uh, website, and then within like ten seconds, you will receive an email with five classic radio show links and uh we have what fibber mcgee and molly suspense and um let's see uh, gunsmoke Gunsmoke, jack benny program and richard diamond private detective those are the five yep so there's a link right on the top of the website it says download now you click on that and you'll can download uh five free old-time radio shows these are not cds these are digital downloads right you get one email with five links in it right and then while you're at the website if you choose to buy more, we have so many options for you. We have seven collections that each contain 100 classic radio shows for a total of 700 radio shows out there for you to enjoy and listen to if you'd really like to uh, build your own collection. So um, what do we have? We have uh, greatest shows. We have Christmas shows, comedies, detectives, dramas, mysteries, westerns. We've got it all. So yeah. that is the website. We also have a promo code, which is radio. Radio. If you put in the the secret word is radio, mm-hmm. you get seventy percent off. Right, that's at checkout. So when you're when you're looking at it all, if you want to get anything there, make sure at checkout you put the promo code radio because you will save seventy percent off your order. So it's uh, another way of thanking you for listening to this show. And if you stay tuned and listen in the next hour, you are going to hear the first half of an hour long. Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny. So stick around. Hour four of the WGN Radio Theater. It is 108 in the morning. We're live here every Saturday night. 8 p.m. Nope. Nope. 10 p.m. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 10 p.m. till uh, 3, three. <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> it's getting late, obviously. This is 108 <laughs> in the morning, but it's Sunday already. It is. <laughs> it's Sunday. Uh, don't you worry. I'll and keep you know what, Lisa? Yeah. The of... Oscars tonight. I know. <laughs> Oscars, and I am not up for an Oscar. Not this year. Ugh. 
But you never know what next year holds. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> If you know it, if you can believe it, you can dream it, it could happen. I'm going to guess that uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's going to Well, win. you just said that because that was my prediction. Well, I think it's either Once Upon a Time no, no, in no, no. Hollywood. You can't hedge. you got to pick one and you got to make a commitment. I'm picking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, you committed to that because... And then second is 1917. And third is the Joker. I don't think it works that way. I don't <laughs> think you get a first, second, and a third. It's not like horseshoes or it's, hand grenades? It's just a winner. All right. Okay. Well, in this hour, we have uh, the first half of an hour-long uh, broadcast of the Ford Theater. And I thought it would be fun to play this because Jack Benny's birthday is this yeah. coming Friday. He was born on Valentine's Day. Yep. And, and uh, he yeah, was 39 every 39 year. every single year. And, you know, when they asked him about that, they were like, how come 39? You know, why not 40 or 41 or, you know, because into his 80s and into, you think he lived to be 90-something. And they were like, why 39? And he said, you know, to me, 39 was a funny number. I liked it. It just sounded funny. It is funnier it than is. 40. I mean, he was right. He was the, you know, he was... Arguably the most successful radio and television star of that era, when you think about it, right? Jack Benny not only had this super long-running radio show, he was in the movies, he was on vaudeville, you know, with his violin, playing jokes, you know, and telling jokes. And then he moved to television, and when he moved to television, I mean, people got to see this guy, right? They, They... Sort of knew what he looked like. I mean, he was very popular. But his television show was really a high watermark for TV at that time. Because, you know, you had all these radio shows moving to television. But the Jack Benny program was something special. And he had really conditioned the viewers of to all of his cast, you know, like with... Phil Harris and Don Wilson and Mary Livingston and all the people. And they they just people knew them and just loved them and they were all these they were so beloved on this on this show, on the radio show, and then it moved to T V and it was like old friends watching you know, watching that. And uh, and Antenna T V plays a lot of Jack Benny, so uh definitely tune that in. Most of these shows that we play made the transition to TV, and it's so great to see the video versions yes. on Antenna TV. All right, in this hour, Ford Theater and, and uh, The Horn Blows at Midnight, which was a movie that starred Jack Benny, and it did not do well. It did not do well on uh, in the box office because it was sort of a gloom and doom time. FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, had just passed away. Just a few days later, this movie came out. So the whole country was sort of in mourning. Did not do well. But it's a really good movie. I've watched it a few times. And this is a radio broadcast of that movie. And it took an hour to do it. So we're going to play half of the show in this hour of the Ford Theater from 1949. And then the second half in our next hour. But first, these words. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Just the Facts, sponsored by Cat's Pride. We are on Hour 4. We will hear the Ford Theater from 1949. But first, a few 
facts from 1949. First, Carl, we have what was the first network Western television series on NBC? It was on NBC. Yeah, June 24th, 1949. Oh, Hopalong Cassidy. Is it? It is. First network Western TV yep. series, NBC. I was going to say Gunsmoke, but no. But when you said NBC, I knew yep. Gunsmoke was on CBS. So I was like, hmm, can't hmm. be Gunsmoke. So. so minimum wage went up on October 26th. What do you think it went to? Mm. That's 1949. I'm going to say $1.75. Uh, you're, you're not Way right. Way off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it was 40 cents. It went oh, to 75 my. cents on October 26th of 1949. It went from 45 to 75? 40 to 75. That's like almost double. That's pretty good. It is. That's a good, that's a like good, jump, good a, big percentage I mean, if job. you're making 45 cents an hour and all, and all of a sudden now you're making 70 yeah, something, you're like, cha- you're like, hey, let's go buy a Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah, it's just something like that. That would work out if, if there were Lamborghinis in 1949. But Probably not. I don't think so. The first Emmy Awards were presented at the Hollywood Athletic Club. That was in Los Angeles. That started. I didn't on, win an Emmy either. No, but there's still time. It started in January 25th fifth of 49 but only shows produced in los angeles county california and aired in the los angeles media market were eligible to win at that time i don't it doesn't seem fair no right (laughs) that's not right no all right and we had a a big song from that era let's hear it do you know that song yes do you know what show it's from you may see a stray. Um, so this is a show tune from the 1949 Rogers and Hammerstein musical. I don't know. South Pacific. Oh, it's the, South Pacific. So it's the single biggest popular hit to come out of any Rogers and Hammerstein show. Hmm. Now oh, it's a beautiful song. It's not Hammerstein. It's Hammerstein. If I said Hammerstein, then it's Hammerstein. <laughs> it's not Smith Smythe? No, if I said it, then I said right. it right. Well, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> 1949. Yes. That is the year uh, of this broadcast. Right. We're listen to The Horn Blows at Midnight. Jack Benny starred in this movie, and uh, as I said, did not do that well. Um, you know who was in this film? Robert Blake mm. had a little role in this uh, movie as well. But uh, the Ford Theater was an anthology series. There was a lot of hour-long radio shows during the golden age of radio that adapted movies for radio airplay. I mean, pretty much anything could be done on radio. It's really the other way around that's tough to do. Right. You can take you can take a war movie. You can take a drama, a comedy, anything, anywhere, a space movie anything and do it on radio why because the visuals aren't there and you can just do it with the good writing sound effects and all that well this was kind of a heaven you know he he was an angel you know jack benny came down to earth to save earth and so it was very easy to adapt to radio but there was like the lux radio theater that was an hour-long broadcast screen director's playhouse for many years was an hour-long show but ford motor company said you know what let's do a really big budget full hour long radio show and take movies of the uh, of the era 
and adapt them for radio and get the movie stars and put them on the radio and it'll it'll be a hit. Well, they did that starting in 1947, but the problem that they had, they made the mistake of starting the show on the East Coast. And there wasn't a lot of big movie stars on the East mm-hmm. Coast. So they were able to get people like, you know, Shirley Booth and Ed Begley Gary Merrill, these were like more kind of Broadway or radio stars, so it didn't do well. The first season kind of was a stinker, didn't do well at all. So what did they do? They moved it to Hollywood, and then it became very popular, much higher ratings in Hollywood. Why? Because they were able to get Humphrey Bogart and Betty Davis and, you know, people like that, Kirk Douglas. Uh, and on this particular night of uh, March 4th, 1949, they were able to secure Jack Benny to do a radio reenactment of his film, The Horn Blows at Midnight. Now, we're going to play this in two parts because it is an hour-long show. So here's the first half of it, uninterrupted, The Horn Blows at Midnight on the Ford Theater. Here with Mr. Jack Benny in a highly unusual fantasy about an angel who was sent down from higher places to destroy the earth. A story which contains more than first meets the ear. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Benley finally got here. And tonight we present him with Mr. Claude Rains in, of all things, The Horn Blows at Midnight. This is the Ford Theater. Welcome to a full hour of the finest dramatic entertainment with celebrated stars of Broadway and Hollywood. Presented by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Ford cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, Lincoln and Mercury cars, including the new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, America's most distinctive fine car, unrivaled for superb performance and luxurious appointments. Now to introduce this evening's program, here is the director of the Ford Theater, Fletcher Markle. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, all disputes, all threats, pleadings, persuasions, and all kidding aside, we're proud and pleased to welcome to the Ford Theater one of the great comedians of the world, Mr. Jack Benny. (laughs) Co-starring with Mr. Benny in the long-heralded Horn Blows at Midnight, we're very happy to have with us one of the most accomplished actors of Broadway and Hollywood, Mr. Claude Rains. This is the second program, by the way, in our Festival of Smiles, which concludes next week with Mr. Bing Crosby. (laughs) The theme of the Warner Brothers picture on which tonight's broadcast is based caused much comment when it was released some seasons ago. Being a fantasy having to do with the destruction of the Earth, the picture clearly raised a controversial issue. And we of the Ford Theater firmly believe that while a radio version of The Horn Blows at Midnight will not end any arguments, it will at least add zest to them. So come with us beyond the Earth's atmosphere on counted light years through space to a place very high above us, the office of the Chief of the Small Planets, an important executive in the system of the universe. You'll be hearing Claude Rains as the Chief with Mr. Benny as a minor angel named Nathaniel. And, of course, any similarity between these characters and any characters living is quite impossible. <laughs> Mr. Benny, Mr. Rains, and company, please to begin.
Horatio, I tell you, something has to be done about it. Here it is, 1949, and that dreadful little planet is worse off than it ever was. What's the name of it again? Number 33974. It is called Earth. Oh, yes. Nasty little globe. It's always given me trouble, but now it's absolutely out of hand. Two world wars, persecution, hatred everywhere. Greed, intolerance, bloodshed. I'm just about fed up. What are you going to do, Chief? I'm going to destroy it, Horatio. I'm going to wipe it off the face of the... Uh, uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to destroy it. Without any warning? Well, the front office has warned them often enough. Quakes, floods, droughts, plagues, everything. But they pay no attention. Those Earth people aren't satisfied with making a mess of their own planet. Why, they're even working on rockets to get to the moon. What do they want up there, Chief? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're overloaded with the Ritz crackers and they believe that stuff about the moon being made of green cheese. <laughs> I'll bust for Elizabeth, my secretary. I'm going to settle this once and for all. Did you ring, Chief? Yes, come in, Elizabeth. I want you to take down some notes. I'm destroying one of the smaller planets, and I want you to send copies to the recording angel. Uh-oh. What's the matter? It won't make a hit with the recording department. They're swamped with work. Oh, it's always something. What's their complaint? Same old thing. Shortage of angel power. I'm drawing up a new personnel questionnaire. Another one? Hmm. More red tape. I never saw such incompetence, such inefficiency. You know, this place needs a few big businessmen to run things up here. We need them, and they better start letting them in. That's all I've got to say. What planet are you destroying, Chief? 33974. It's called Earth. Earth? Well, that was created rather hurriedly, as I remember. Yes, it was a six-day job. <laughs> Practically slapped together. Well, I'm going to slap it apart. How are you going to do it, Chief? Well, usually our demolition expert descends, blows his horn, and poof. Just poof? Well, for some of the larger jobs, it's poof, poof. <laughs> but this happens to be a one-poof planet. Anyway, our demolition expert is busy on another assignment, and I'll have to find someone else. Elizabeth, who would you suggest? What about Nathaniel? Nathaniel? That nincompoop, that blundering nitwit. <laughs> he's not a nincompoop, and he's not a nitwit either. And you shouldn't call him those names, Chief. Remember, he's an angel. Some angel. I don't see how he ever got his wings. <laughs> Elizabeth, what do you see in him anyway? Well, he's sweet and kind and understanding, and he plays the trumpet beautifully. That's right. He does play, doesn't he? He's been 455th trumpet in the Ethereal Philharmonic Orchestra for over 300 years. Then he certainly ought to be able to blow the horn. Go fetch him, Elizabeth. I will, Chief, immediately. He's rehearsing with the orchestra now. Nathaniel, please. Once again, gentlemen, and all together this time. Nathaniel, step up here, please. Yes, Mr. Beethoven. <laughs> uh, what is it, sir? 
For 120 years I've been conducting this orchestra. And for 120 years you've been playing the wrong notes. Why? Tell me why. Well, it's, it's a hard number and it takes practice. I'm sure I'll get it if you'll just be patient a little while longer. A little while longer? Yeah, besides, what's the rush? We're not going anywhere. <laughs> what has that got to do with it? We've got 10,000 men in this orchestra, 9,999 musicians, and you. Huh? Why did you have to take up the trumpet? With lips like yours, you should be a glass blower. A glass blower? Yeah, I tried that when I was on Earth. But one day, instead of blowing, I inhaled. <laughs> then I had to walk around with a sign on my back marked Fragile. <laughs> Look, Nathaniel, I don't care what happened to you on Earth. I only care what happens to me up here. Now go back to your place and please don't be flat. But Mr. Beethoven, the music says B flat, doesn't it? That doesn't mean you should be flat. That means play B flat. Oh, oh I wish I'd have known that a hundred years ago. <laughs> Could have saved so much trouble. All right, Mr. Beethoven, I promise you. Samuel! Samuel! Huh? Oh, hello, Elizabeth. Daniel, I have wonderful news for you. The chief wants to see you. The chief? Is there something wrong? What do I do now? Oh, Nathaniel, don't be silly. You couldn't do anything wrong. Oh, no? You don't think so. Stay around and listen to him play the trumpet. It's better he should have the mute in his mouth. I don't use a mute. I use a derby. Gee, Elizabeth, I'm so excited. Imagine the chief wanting to see me. How do I look? Fine, fine. I'm so nervous. Is my halo on straight? Oh, it's perfect. Now, come on. Don't keep him waiting. All right. Will you excuse me, Mr. Beethoven? With pleasure. All right, gentlemen. Now we can play. Elizabeth, it's been so long since I've seen the chief, I, I won't know how to act. Just be yourself, and don't let him frighten you. If he seems gruff, it's only because he's terribly busy, like all the other deputy chiefs. He has billions of small planets to look after. I know, what a job that must be, keeping them in their own orbits. Well, we're almost there, and I'm so nervous. Hello, Elizabeth! Hello, Daniel! Hello, Hello Paul! That's a beautiful horse Mr. Revere rides. I wonder why he still carries those two lanterns. Nathaniel, you can ask him later. We haven't got time now. The chief is waiting. Oh. Uh... Horatio, you may not realize that but getting rid of the earth will be a big help in balancing the budget. Think of all the rain and snow we'll save. Uh, yes, that is a native. And don't forget the thunder and lightning that little planet uses up. Why, we'll cut our electric bills in half. And, oh, uh, by the way, Horatio, remind me to talk to Halley about his comet. There's no point to its traveling around the earth anymore. Uh, yes, Chief. Oh, here comes Elizabeth with the panel. Yeah, about time. Let him in. Here's a panel, Chief. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it hasn't changed a bit. Oh, well. Nathaniel, how long have you been up here? Uh, 300 years, Chief. I'm from New Amsterdam, you know. Hmm. Hmm. What's your rank? Angel, junior grade, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> Still junior grade, eh? I don't know why I sent for you. Was it possibly about changing my rank, sir? No, no. I see no reason for demoting you. Thank you, Chief. <laughs> 
I've been going over your record, and it's not too bad. It says here, deportment B, application B, virtue A, mentality. Well, this job doesn't require a genius anyway. <laughs> You'll do. Do what, sir? Do what? Destroy planet number 33974. 33974? Why, that's Earth, my home planet. What will all the people do without it? Where will they live? Well, some of them will come up here, and some of them will go to the other place. We have no time for sentiment. But, Chief, why are you destroying the Earth? Why? Simply because there's been nothing but trouble there. Now that the Second World War is over, it's in a bigger mess than it ever was. No peace, no harmony, no cooperation. If they want to end civilization, I'll end it for them. Elizabeth? Yes, Chief? See to the fan who wears his proper clothes for a visit to the Earth. You can attend to all that. Yes, I will, Chief. Gee, it'll be nice wearing buckled shoes and long stockings again. I still have good-looking legs, you know. Nathaniel, men's styles have changed on Earth since you were there 300 years ago. They have? Women's, too? Oh, yes, many times. But now they have the new look, and they're right back to where they used to be. Oh. Well, don't men wear long stockings anymore? Oh, no. But don't worry, Nathaniel. Your knees will be covered. You'll wear long trousers. Why can't I just wear my toga? I'm so used to it now. Because, my dear Nathaniel, you don't, we don't want you to be conspicuous. You've got an important job to do. Oh. Well, Chief, how do I go about destroying the Earth? Horatio, hand me that horn. Yes, Chief. Here you are, sir. Now, Nathaniel, you simply blow four notes of the Judgment Day Overture on this horn, and that will be the end of the Earth. Gee, it's the most beautiful trumpet I've ever seen. It is not a trumpet. Oh. It's a very special kind of horn. Now, listen carefully to these instructions. You'll proceed to New Amsterdam. It's called New York now, Chief. Oh, New York, then. Mercurius will arrange for your transportation. You will then check into the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel, and a few minutes before midnight, you will go to the roof. Yes, sir. Now, this is very important, Nathaniel. The horn must be blown at midnight sharp. Yes, sir. Remember, that means precisely 12. 11.59 won't do. 12.01 won't do. It must be 12 on the dot. Got that? Yes, sir. I'll see that the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> Leave it to me. All right, now get going. If you do a good job, when you come back, you may find yourself an angel senior grade. Me, an angel senior grade? That means a raise in my base pay. Gosh. <laughs> but if you botch the job, you'll be back scrubbing clouds for the next 500 years. Yeah, I hope not. My knees are still wet. But don't worry, Chief. I won't botch it. I'll make good. That's the spirit. Now, are you ready to, uh... The interplanetary phone, Chief. Department of Small Planets. Chief speaking. This is the salvage department. Any instructions, Chief? Yes. Stand by to pick up a load of scrap at midnight. Hmm. That'll be all, Nathaniel. Are you sure you remember everything? Don't worry, Chief. I won't forget a thing. Goodbye. Wait a minute. Come back here. You forgot the horn. Oh, that's because I'm so excited. Well, goodbye, Chief. Goodbye, Elizabeth. You stay with him until he leaves. See that he gets away in time. Yes, Chief. Come along, Nathaniel. I'll walk you to the edge. I'm going to miss you, Nathaniel. You are, Elizabeth? Yes. Well, I'll only be gone. Hello, Nathaniel. Oh, hello, Noah. Going away? Yes, but I'll be home tomorrow. <laughs> well, when you get back, drop in. I'm having a little gathering in the ark. In the ark? Mm -hmm. Oh, good, good. Who's coming over? Oh, just a few couples. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks very much. I'll see you later. Da-da-da-ding. Da-da-da-ding. What are we talking about, Elizabeth? I said that I was going to miss you. 
Oh, well, I'll only be gone one night, and then I'll come back, and we can spend the next hundred years together just talking about my trip. Gee, these earth clothes are funny. What do you call this again? That's a vest. And is this a doublet? No, that's a coat. Oh. Well, what is this label? I wouldn't want to wear someone else's clothes. Who are Hart, Scheffner, and Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Nathaniel. And by the way, I'd better give you some money. Here. What are these? Gilders? No, these are dollar bills. Oh. Well, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> Gee, they feel nice and crispy. And these are five-dollar bills. Oh, I like these better. They feel even nicer and crispier. Look at the pictures on them. George is on one, and Abe is on the other. Yes. Yes, you'll need them, Nathaniel. And now you'd better go. I'm on my way, Elizabeth. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! Well, that's the chief. Gosh, I hope he isn't calling me back. Nathaniel! I'm glad I caught you before you left. There's one very important thing I forgot to tell you. What is it, Chief? Before you blow that horn, be sure to check with Petrillo. I don't want any trouble with him. <laughs> oh, I will, Chief. I will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Nathaniel. Goodbye. Watch that first step. It's a pip. I will. I will. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Listening to the Ford Theater, which tonight is bringing you Jack Benny, starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight with Claude Rains. And here's the second act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as Nathaniel with Claude Rains as the chief of the small planet. Now, Nathaniel, having arrived in New York City, is strolling down Broadway with the horn tucked under his arm. Since it was 300 years ago that he last saw this famous street, it's small wonder that he marvels at the changes. So this is New York. I wonder why they changed the name. Look at that sign over there, baseball today. Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. Well, I guess it does sound better than New Amsterdam Yankees. <laughs> Gosh, this place certainly is built up. I wish Peter Stuyvesant could see it. How they laugh when we bought Manhattan Island for $24. I bet we could double our money now. <laughs> My, what big buildings. I never saw so many horseless carriages. Look at those yellow ones. They either go around the corner on two wheels. I wonder if they could... Get back on the coin, you jerk. You wanted to kill? No, thank you. Not again. <laughs> the records would be all mixed up. <laughs> Hey, mister, you better wait for the light to change before you cross the street. Light? Light to change? Sure. You must be a stranger. Ain't you never been in New York before? Oh, yes, yes. I come from New York, but I've been away for a long time. Say, that's a good-looking trumpet you got there. Yeah. How about giving us a little bebop? Bebop? Yeah. That bebop or rebop? Bebop or... Is that music? Is it? It's out of this world. Well, that's where I've been, and I've never heard of it. <laughs> Bebop a rebop. What band are you with? Uh, Beethoven's Ethereal Melodians. It's a very fine orchestra. Ten thousand pieces. Ten thousand? Gee, they must sound louder than Spike Jones. <laughs> Spike who? Jones. Didn't you ever hear him play All I Want for Christmas is my two front teeth? 
No, but it sounds like a very interesting selection. I'll suggest it to Mr. Beethoven. <laughs> Beethoven, huh? Yes, I play 455th trumpet. I've been playing it for nearly 300 years. Hey, Johnny, this guy must be a little what's name, like a fruitcake. Uh, what's your name, Methuselah? No, no, but I know him very well. <laughs> I, in fact, I went to his birthday party last month, and he had the biggest cake. Took us two weeks to blow out the candles. <laughs> hey, Jerry, let's get out of here before the wagon backs up. Yeah. <laughs> well, so long, Grandpa. Give my regards to Beethoven. I will, I will. <laughs> Look at him run away. They were nice youngsters, though. Well, people aren't so bad down here. My, the streets are certainly crowded here in New York. Look at all those men and women going into that theater. Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Good old Bill. Wait till I tell him about this. He'll be so happy to know he's finally got a hit. <laughs> Gee, look at all the saloons on this street. I wonder what kind of a drink television is. <laughs> I don't remember it. What's that big bird doing up there in the sky? So noisy, too. Spelling out something. I.J. Fox. Must be a store up there. No, no, that would be impossible. There he is! Oh, yes. Well, I'll handle him, kid. Hey, you there. You with the horn. Huh? Were you speaking to me? Yeah. Well, I understand you've been playing that trumpet you got there for the last 300 years. Yes, sir. I, I'm with Beethoven's Ethereal Melodians. Oh, you are, eh? <laughs> well, what's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, exactly how old are you? Uh, 355. Of course, I tell everyone up there that I'm 339. <laughs> I'm really 355. Oh, oh. Naughty, naughty, you're a bad boy. Well, it's only a white lie. You know, I, I just can't get over how this town has changed, and the people, too. Where are the Indians? In Cleveland. Yeah, Bob Hope's got them now. <laughs> Bob Hope? Sure, the big radio comedian. Don't tell me you've never listened to Hope. No, what did he say? Hmm. <laughs> now, uh, would you mind if I asked oh, look, you... Look, I may be wrong, but I think that's the spot right there. Huh? The place where I was killed 300 years ago. You were what? I was killed here 300 years ago. I was run over by a cow. <laughs> I really was. A hit and mood driver. <laughs> you know, Mr. Beethoven gets mad when I tell jokes. Like <laughs> but it was my own fault, you know. I shouldn't have been out so late. Yes, well, look, uh, uh, uh... Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look, Nathaniel, when did they let you out? A little while ago. Well, you're, you're going back, aren't you? Oh, of course. I just have to blow a few notes on this horn tonight, and then I'll return immediately. Oh. 
Well, why wait till tonight? Why not blow the horn now? Oh, I, I couldn't do that. You see, the chief said it wouldn't work unless it was exactly midnight on the top. The chief said that, eh? Yes, sir. Oh. Well, I guess there's no harm in letting you run along. But you'll remember to go right home as soon as you blow the, blow the bugle. Oh, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> I certainly will. Just as long as I blew it, I will. <laughs> Well, goodbye. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. Oh, no, you won't. If you've been good, I will. <laughs> goodbye. My, what a nice man. Step right inside the store here, folks. The auction is about to begin. Now, friends, I have here my hair and a timepiece. That is acknowledged all over the civilized world as the finest example of watchmaking that human hands can create. My friends, just look at this watch. Look at the solid 14-carat gold-type case. Gold-type case? The jewel die, consisting of 24 genuine artificial diamonds. <laughs> the real synthetic alligator strap fit for a king's wrist. Gee. Ah, you like it, don't you? Well, I don't blame you, friends. Now, who'll start the bidding at $300? I'm a bid $300, $300, $300. Who'll say $300? $1. $1. I'm bidding up. All right, who'll make it a dollar and a half? Why, friends, the movement alone is worth that much. Who'll say a dollar and a half? A dollar and a half? A dollar and a half? Can anyone say a dollar and a half? I can say a dollar and a half. <laughs> a dollar and a half. See, I said it. <laughs> so... To the intelligent-looking man with the horn for a dollar and a half. Congratulations, sir. Here you are. Thank you, sir. My friend, you have a watch there that will last you a hundred years. A hundred years? What will I do with it after that? <laughs> oh, well, I'll think of something. <laughs> I wonder where the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel is. That's where I have to go. I better ask someone. Wachstree, get your pipers here. Wachstree, read all about it. I beg your pardon, but I'm... A piper? You want a piper, mister? Piper? <laughs> uh, what's a piper? A paper. <laughs> no, no, thank you. But could you, uh, could you direct me to the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel? Oh, Sonny, Sonny, it's one block down and two blocks to the right. Thank you. I understand it's a lovely place. Head at best. <laughs> I wouldn't live nowhere else. Oh, then you live there? Sure, I got the penthouse there. I just sell these papers for a hobby. My dad owns the four-way coal tablets. Oh. <laughs> well, if you have the penthouse, we'll be neighbors. I'll see you over there. That is, if you get home before midnight. Well, thanks again. Goodbye. Goodbye. I don't know where they come from, but I always get them. Poipers, get your poipers here. Poipers. Da-da-da-ding. Da-da-da-ding. Yeah, it was nice of him to direct me to the hotel. The earth can't be so bad with people like him on it. I wonder if the chief isn't making a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't. Oh, oh I didn't say it, chief. I was just thinking. It's just that it seems such a pity. I mean, there's so many nice... I'll do it, I'll do it, Chief. 
Don't worry, I'll do it. This first half of The Horn Blows at Midnight. Very funny, you know, radio reenactment of the movie. Jack Benny reprising his role of the angel, uh, Nathaniel. Um, and, uh, you know what? It was just, it's just so cool to, you know, I've seen the movie many times and then you're listening to it on radio and it's like, they do such a great job. And they, and you have to remember, like, a lot of the times they would take a full length movie, which is, which was usually about 90 minutes. The movies were shorter back then. They weren't as long as the movies now. Most movies now are almost two hours yeah. or lower. Back then, you had movies 65 minutes, 75 minutes, you know, 90 minutes max. Um, and they took that, had great writers, they were able to adapt it, and also work some jokes in there, a few more jokes for the radio, like his 339. 339. You know, it's actually usually the other way around. Usually you start with the radio show, and then it gets adapted to, say, a television and this is sort of the other way around. It yeah. went from visual back to the radio. Exactly. And the two kids, uh, I looked them up, Jerry Farber and Johnny McGovern. They were like 12 and 13 years of age on this broadcast, and they worked with everybody, Orson Welles, Jack Benny. And the one kid, Jerry Farber, he was part of a club called the 500 Club, which was all these kids that had been in at least 500 radio shows. So he was a member, Jerry Farber was a member of the 500 Club. But there's all kinds of great actors on here. The Horn Blows at Midnight is heard on CBS. The Ford Theater, brought to you by Ford, of course. We will have the second uh, half of this show, because it's an hour-long show, the second half of this show in our next hour. So stick around here. Much more coming your way on the WGN Radio Theater. All right, so you know what, Lisa? What? August is right around the corner. It is? I mean, when you think about it, <laughs> is it? it's only six months away. <laughs> is that right? Uh, it is. Six it's months away. It's a little away. bit less because it's already into February. Folks, we're going on a cruise, a classic radio cruise to Bermuda. And you know what? I think we've coined that phrase, a classic radio cruise. Yeah. Have you ever heard C-C-C. of that before? CC. Classic, no, CRC. <laughs> Oh, yeah, classic radio cruise. Yeah, we're going on a classic radio cruise. And we we just sort of made that happen. Of course, you can go on a cruise, and you can listen and and enjoy classic radio, but we are joining forces. Joining them together. That has never been done. This is a a maiden voyage. So, yeah, (laughs) this is what happens. If you come with us to Bermuda on August 1st, and there are still a few cabins left, you can still get on this cruise, a uh, few cabins left. You're going to join a group that is going to not only have like a cocktail party the first night and get to know each other, and then we're going to do radio reenactments. We are going to have trivia contests with prizes. You can act in a radio reenactment. I think we're going to do suspense and then one other show. We haven't figured it out yet. Suspense and something else. I'll come up with something. Probably You'll probably want to do My Favorite Husband. That would be fun. Yeah, or Our Miss Brooks would be good, too, don't right. you think? We always say the Bickersons would be fun, I think Our Miss Brooks would be great. That would be a lot of fun. there's a lot of characters there. It'd be fun. So this isn't any cruise. This is an Oceana cruise. Yep. So this is the top of the top of yes. luxury cruise lines. Yes. 
Yes. So I thought that was important to mention. It is. This is not any cruise. And we're going to spend this time getting not only enjoying classic radio and all of these activities together, but getting to know our listeners. Yes. And we have the opportunity to explore Bermuda and we have the time to just spend hanging back and, and eating and sunning and relaxing. Oh, I'm going to eat a lot. <laughs> You're going to eat and sun and relax and get to know um, our listeners. That's like the best thing on a cruise is the food. They just, you can eat as much food as you want. <laughs> well, you could do that at home, too. Well, I know, but it's all included. <laughs> but it won't taste as good right? somehow. Yeah. So uh, this is seven <laughs> nights beginning August 1st, and the name of the ship is called Insignia. And again, there's a fitness center and lounges and bars and a casino, which should be a lot of fun. Of course, many open seating restaurants. And then we're going to enjoy St. George and Hamilton, which are two islands in Bermuda with the, apparently there's some pink sand beaches and uh, some Never been there. beautiful water and there's a fascinating history in Bermuda as well. You know what the other fascinating thing for me because I'm a food guy. Right and you're is, back to the food again? Well food's important. Okay. Is you don't it's not like I've been on a lot of cruises and they're always like okay you gotta be in here at six o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever. This is open seating. You just go whenever you're hungry. You just go in to any of the restaurants and you just eat when you want to eat. <laughs> we're, we're back at the restaurants, guys. But but You'll find we, me in the restaurants. We, <laughs> we have a lot to enjoy, not only getting to know each other, but getting to know Bermuda and enjoying this luxury cruise line. So um, we have a lot of rooms that have filled up, yet there are still a few available, and we hope that you'll take the opportunity to look into it. We are working with Keen Luxury Travel. That's K-E-E-N-E, Luxury Travel. Their number is 800-856-1150. They are wonderful to work with, and they will be very helpful in getting you set up and answering all of your questions. Or, of course, you can go to our website, which is WGNRadioTheater.com, and you can uh, find the cruise banner on there and read a little bit more about it. Give the toll-free number one more time. I sure will. 800-856-1155. Yeah, come with us uh, August 1st. We're going to have a lot of fun for a week on a uh, really luxurious cruise. It's going to be a ton of fun, and you will enjoy it, especially if you like classic radio, because it is a CRC. It's a classic radio cruise. (laughs) All right, (laughs) stick around, because in our next hour, the conclusion to The Horn Blows at Midnight. Hour 5 of the WGN Radio Theater. We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning playing all your favorite classic radio shows. You name it, we have it. Suspense, Jack Benny, The Whistler, Boston Blackie, uh, The Shadow, Gunsmoke, Inner Sanctum Mystery, Lisa's favorite show, My Favorite Husband. Oh, that's a good one. Mike's favorite show, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. We have that as well. Um, In this hour, we will have the concluding half of an hour-long episode of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny on the Ford Theater. That is coming up in this hour. Um, In just a few minutes, we will have our segment, Just the Facts, right? Just the Facts. Just the Facts. That's right. And uh, maybe some other stuff, too. We might have some other fun stuff, too. You never know what I'm going to throw in there. Don't forget, go to our website, 100radioshows.com. Get five free classic radio shows. Everyone listening to the show is entitled to download their five free classic radio shows. Fibber, McGee, and Molly, Suspense, 
Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Mike digitally remastered those shows. They're waiting for you at 100radioshows.com. Now, here's here's the other thing. If there's anything there you want to buy, there are 700 radio shows available for you to purchase. Make sure to use the promo code RADIO at checkout, and you will save 70%. On your order. So that's another way of us thanking you for listening to the WGN Radio Theater. Right, Lisa? We like to thank you. All right, we'll be back with just the facts after these words. A life of service brought out of the shadows. How Darren Labonte went from policing suburban streets to hunting terrorists for the CIA. WGN TV investigates Monday at 9. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. So this is our Just the Facts segment. This is for 1949, which we are playing the second half of the Ford Theater from 1949. And it seemed to be a great year, 1949. First of all, the top movie of that year was The Third Man. Oh, yeah. Orson Welles. Right. And, of course, this is directed by Carol Reed. And uh, I don't know. You know about The Third Man, Carl? Well, yeah, of course. Because uh, The Third Man. He's got his friend Harry Lyme. Well, Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles starred in it. And uh, Graham Greene wrote the novel. That's exactly right. Um, It was directed by Carol Reed. Yeah. Quite a film noir. I mean, if you have not seen this movie, folks, you really, really should because... It is uh, it is a really great you know Harry Lime's sort of a con artist right and he's he's killed in the movie uh, I don't want to give anything away but it's really really a great story and I've never seen it but in reading about it it sounds pretty oh, exciting yeah, you gotta see it big movie 1949 in terms of songs of 1949 big song diamonds are a girl's best friend oh, which has wow. of course been redone sure. so many times in so many ways and of course Rudolph the red nosed reindeer mm-hmm. and some enchanted evening which comes from South Pacific, which opened that year on Broadway. Yeah. Right? Was, you, I know you're not a big Broadway no, fan. No, not really. I will tell you that South Pacific has really survived time because it's still, I actually saw it this year here in Chicago. So, they just keep redoing it, huh? Uh, well, you know, it evolves mm-hmm. through the years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a little bit more modernized and right. uh, adapted to the times, but still a wonderful show. Didn't you just recently go and see a mammoth play? Was uh, it a mammoth? I, s- I don't think so. I thought you said you saw. I saw a Tracy Letts oh, play yes, this week. A Tracy Letts play. Right, same thing. No, was it good? <laughs> it was well, really. I, I couldn't remember. It was spectacular. Was it? It was at Steppenwolf. It's called Bug. Now this oh, is an early yeah. show that Michael he wrote. Shannon starred in the movie. Yes, he did, and he yeah. starred in the first time they did this play, which was at a Red Orchid Theater, uh, maybe ten, fifteen years ago. Right, but uh, this is and the first time they did it at Steppenwolf. Like bugs are inside him and coming out of his body or something like he that. He does. He does yeah. think that. And I didn't see the movie, but I know Michael Shannon starred in the well, movie. Well, head out to Steppenwolf and check it out. You okay. will not be sorry. Really, it was great. It was fantastic. On and the Tracy edge of my Lett's seat. Wife, isn't it? Right. So he wrote it, right. and Tracy Letts' wife Carrie Coon stars. At 
as the woman in the play. Right. Ashley Judd actually played that part in the movie with Michael Shannon. Hard to picture anybody else doing a better job than Carrie Coon. Yeah, so. well, I'm sure she's <laughs> he, great. He had a great director. <laughs> <laughs> she's a little inside information. A little uh, you inside know. information. Yeah, sure. And also that year, Arthur Miller's play Death of a Salesman wins a wow. Pulitzer Prize. And sure. of course, we've all seen that play. Arthur Miller. Have you he, seen the play? He married a kind of attractive woman <laughs> in Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yes, he sure did. Yeah. So it was a big year. And our top TV show is Candid Camera, yeah. which of course persisted well into the 60s. I know we right. used to watch that as children. Oh, I watched Candid Camera. I did too. And Kukla Fran and Ollie was a big show mm-hmm. in 1949. Oh, I think Antenna TV once in a while plays Candid Camera. I think they do. Yeah. And you know what? Still well worth watching because nothing really lives up to the genuine feel of Candid Camera. Such a great show. Uh, you know, yeah. there's a lot of knockoffs now. You know, That's you see what I these, mean. You see these shows, you know, where it's like uh, kind of uh, someone's playing a practical joke. It all, it all came it from all camera. Came, and, and you know nothing what? Nothing is as good. People may not realize this, but Candid Camera was called Candid Microphone. It was on the radio first, then made a transition to television. Like so many things so, we talk yeah. about here candid, on Radio we've Theater. We've never played, I don't believe we've ever played a Candid Microphone well, see, now, show, but we now will. We, Let's now do we've it. got a, a okay. job to do. We will do it. Is that it for that, 1949? You want more? Well, yeah, one more. <laughs> okay. One more is good. Okay, sure. Another movie of that year was All the King's Men. Sure. So, you know, oh, yeah. um, good movies. There's some great songs. Another TV show was the Texaco Star Theater was 1949 and sure. Colgate Theater. Those are the kind of shows Milton that Burl were being and all produced that. Yeah. during that time. Well, yeah, but, you know, that was the infancy of TV. You know, 1949, right. you know, people were just starting to say, hey, you know what? Do I want to abandon radio and check out this newfangled and, thing? And do I have the money to afford? to television well, yeah. costs a lot of money. But you know, all that, you know, CBS and NBC, they were spending literally millions of dollars at that time to try to raid each other. They were trying to get, NBC was trying to get CBS's talent to come over to NBC and vice versa because they knew television was, was the it. future yeah. and they needed Jack Benny and Milton Berle. And so they were fighting and those People like like uh, Jack Benny and and Milton Berle, they weren't sure. You know, Bob Hope, they weren't sure. Was this going to even work? You know, they were so used to radio, right? But it definitely but it worked. worked. But here we are bringing radio back well well after television. And antenna has TV <laughs> is still playing all the great classic radio it's shows. It's the best. All right. Well, we are listening to an hour long episode of the Ford Theater. Jack Benny starring in a uh, radio reenactment of a very funny film. It didn't do well at the box office because it came out just like, I don't know, 10 days after uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt passed away. So the the whole nation was kind of somber. And then here's this movie that releases, and it's a comedy. And, you know, some people went and saw it, but most people didn't. And so it didn't do well. But Jack Benny used the failure of this movie, the Ford Theater, I mean, sorry, the Horn Blows at Midnight, used the failure of of this movie as a running joke throughout his whole career. You could hear him talking about the Horn Blows at Midnight well into his TV years, you know, when the movie came out like in 1948 or 49. So now is the conclusion. It's uh, being broadcast on the Ford Theater. Let's go back to March 4th, 1949, the half-hour conclusion now uninterrupted of The Horn Blows at Midnight on the Ford Theater. You see, Elizabeth, he's weakening already. 
I told you he was the wrong one to send. But, Chief, he'll do it. He said he would. He's on his way to the hotel now. I've got a good mind to recall him and send someone I can rely on. Oh, please, Chief, don't do that. Nathaniel's all right. It's just that he has such a soft heart. Well, I should have sent an older angel. Nathaniel is only 339. Anyway, that's what he says. But, Chief... How he got to look like that in only 339 years, I'll never know. <laughs> I'm worried, Elizabeth. Oh, why don't you wait and see? I'm sure everything will be all right. You better be. If that horn doesn't blow at midnight, I'll drop him out of the phalanx. So this is the Waldorf Biltmore. My, what a beautiful hotel. Sure is crowded, too. Paging Mr. Davis, Mr. Charles Davis. Paging Mr. Davis. Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Caesar, please. I'll take it, boy. Is that for Julius? No, sir. Irving. Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving Caesar. Oh, fiddlesticks. I wanted to ask him how to get to the roof. So near midnight. I'll ask that man at the desk. Boy, take this luggage up to 1023, huh? Oh, good evening, sir. Uh, good evening. Could you tell me how to get to the roof? Why, yes, sir. You take that last elevator. It's an express. Thank you. And uh, is that clock up there on the wall correct? Yes, sir. It's exactly ten minutes before midnight. You're quite certain? Oh, yes, sir. The sun rises and sets by that clock. I'm afraid you've been misinformed, if you don't mind my saying so. See, the sun's movements are completely independent of this planet. However, I will accept the time as 11.51 p.m. Thank you very much. I'm sure Western Union will be deeply grateful. <laughs> oh, that's perfectly all right. Are you stopping at the hotel? Sir? Yes, for a short time. You staying overnight? No, and neither are you. <laughs> well, goodbye. Going up? Yes, the roof, please. That's a lovely elevator you have here. Eh, when you've seen one, you've seen them all. I suppose so. Is your name Otis? <laughs> yeah, how'd you guess? Otis J. Elevator, that's me. I'm pleased to meet you. I'm Nathaniel, 3rd Phalanx, 15th Cohort. <laughs> My, it's nice in here, so intimate and cozy. Eh, it ain't so cozy when you have to stand in it all night long. All night long? Well, from six at night till two in the morning. Really? And I have good news for you. Tonight you're getting off at 12. <laughs> uh, that's funny. The chief didn't tell me anything about it. Well, he told me. Well, I hope you're right. Uh, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. Da-da-da-dee. Da-da-da-dee. I wish I could get that right. Da-da-da-dee. What a beautiful sight up here on the roof. And all the stars are out tonight. There's Jupiter, Mercury, and Venus. Hello, Venus. Gee, she's pretty. Well, it's only five more minutes till midnight. Better get ready to blow the horn. Here's a good place to stand, right near the edge. I think I... What's that? Is someone there? Why, it's a girl, and she's crying. Uh, don't cry, miss. Whatever it is that's troubling you will be over very soon. It'll never be over. Never. Never. Oh, yes, yes, it will. And 
Just a couple of minutes. Please go away. Let me alone, can't you? But I assure you, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. He doesn't love me. He's sending me away. Well, I won't go back home. I won't. You you can't very well go back home if you're not alive. Not... Not alive? Yes, of course. That's the answer. The only answer. It's all clear now. Well, I'm very happy to have been of service. (laughs) Less than two minutes left. I'll show him. I wonder what he'll say when I'm gone. Well, here goes. Goodbye, Andrew. Wait, wait, you mustn't. You mustn't jump. Let me go. Let me go. No, no, you can't. Why not? It was your idea. But suicide is a mortal sin. You let go of me. Be patient. Just a few more seconds. No, I won't be tossed out of it. You've got to listen to me now. There's very little time. Hey, Peggy! Peggy! Andrew! (laughs) What? Who's this? Oh, Peggy, darling. Hey, you, get your hands off my girl. Let go of me, mister. It's midnight. I've got to blow my horn. I ought to jam it down your throat. My horn? (laughs) Oh, let him go, Andrew. He didn't do anything. Oh, Peggy, I've been such a fool. Can you ever forgive me? As soon as you left, I realized what a mistake I made. Oh, Peggy, I'll never let you go again, believe me. Well, let go of me, then, and put your arms around her. Please, Andrew, it's midnight. I gotta blow the horn. Oh, Andrew, I'm so happy I could start crying all over again. Look, not tonight, baby. We're gonna celebrate. Come on. Wait, wait, give me back my horn. Here you are, bud. Catch. Whoops! I missed it. I missed it. It's falling all the way down to the street. I won't have time to get it. What am I gonna do? Now I'll never get to be an angel senior grade. What am I gonna tell the chief? I couldn't help it, chief. I couldn't help it. Give me another chance. Please, Chief, please. Just one more chance. I want to be a senior. That's Act Two of tonight's Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny with Claude Rains. Time out again very briefly, and Frank Martin speaking for the Ford Motor Company. A gold medal is quite an impressive thing, particularly when it's awarded to the car chosen as the fashion car of the year. That gold medal has just been awarded to the 1949 Ford. Bearing out the judgment of millions of Americans, The Fashion Academy of New York, after examining all cars in all price ranges, picked the 1949 Ford as embodying all the essential qualities of good taste, modern design, and subtle harmony in line and color. Yes, the style experts have officially awarded the gold medal to the 1949 Ford for its beauty and advanced styling that set Ford apart in its field. And this recognition of Ford styling is not an accident. The 1949 Ford is the only completely newly designed car in its field. Ford engineers, designers, and stylists redesigned the Ford from roof to road, creating a completely new car to give you better, safer, easier driving. Truly modern motoring. And one basic part of that redesigning is Ford's new style, an advanced style that suits a truly advanced car, a style that expresses in steel and glass and chrome, the power, comfort, safety, 
and solid roadability, the advanced performance of the new Ford. Back of every point of Ford styling, you will find a good reason. More headroom, legroom, seatroom, luggage room. More visibility, more safety, more comfort, more efficient performance. And above all, better, easier driving. The 1949 Ford, alone in its field, was completely redesigned to give you those things. And it does. The 1949 Ford is not just a remodeled pre-war car, but the most advanced car in its field, the truly modern, truly post-war car. You can tell how advanced 1949 Ford styling is by looking at a new Ford and then looking at other new cars of older style. But you won't know how truly advanced it is until you drive a 1949 Ford, until you take the wheel and feel the difference, feel the big difference that Ford's advanced design makes. Why not ask one of your friends to let you drive his new Ford or see your friendly Ford dealer? When you drive a Ford, you'll feel different. Drive a Ford and feel the difference. The Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight will be resumed after a brief pause for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Fletcher Markle again, and now for the third act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as Nathaniel and Claude Rains as the chief. Elizabeth, of all the angels who could have done the job, you had to recommend Nathaniel. But, Chief, it wasn't his fault. Nathaniel was only trying to stop that poor girl from committing suicide. A mortal sin. Well, that wasn't his job. He should have obeyed orders. There are too many people down there committing mortal sins. That's why Earth has to be destroyed. Please, Chief, give Nathaniel another chance. After all, you've only lost one day. I know, I know, but Nathaniel has botched up every assignment I ever gave him. Remember two months ago when I put him in the weather department? All he had to do was to see that the clouds went in the right direction. And what happened? He got the elements so mixed up it snowed in California. Nathaniel. <laughs> Nathaniel Bob. No, but Chief, that was an accident. After all, he was new on the job, and he just didn't know. Imagine snow in California. He knows very well it's not even supposed to rain there. That's where we keep our smog. No, Elizabeth, I have no alternative. Nathaniel must be recalled. Chief, if you recall Nathaniel, now you'll destroy all his confidence. He tried so hard to make good. He was so happy at the chance to become an angel, senior grade. If you take that chance away from him, you'll break his spirit. And that's all he's got left. <laughs> oh, please, Chief. Be just a little more patient with him, won't you? Elizabeth, I don't know why I let you talk me into these things, but you always do. Then you'll give Nathaniel another chance? Oh, thank you, Chief, thank you. You're so good and kind, and he'll be so grateful. Well, you better blow that horn at midnight tonight, or else. And that's my last word. Else. I'll thunder him his directions. <laughs> Yeah.
It was, certainly was nice of the chief to give me another chance. Lucky this horn didn't break when it hit the street. I'll just have to make good tonight. Let's see, there's still a little time before midnight. Guess I'll sit here in the lobby for a while. Certainly is a busy hotel. Aging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving Caesar, please. Hmm, same one he paged yesterday. I'll have to ask Julius if he has any relatives down here. <laughs> Julius is so nice. I think Brutus was definitely out of line. <laughs> well, I got about 15 minutes yet. Yeah, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Pardon me. May I sit down here? Oh, why, certainly. Certainly, there's plenty of room. Oh, thank you. Whoops. Wait till I remove the horn. <laughs> there you are. Thank you. Isn't this a beautiful hotel? Yes, yes, it is. I've had such a busy day. And you know, in about an hour, the limousine is coming back for me. And I have to go to a midnight supper at the Stork Club. Really? Yes. And then I'll have to go home and get some rest because tomorrow I have so much more to do. I'm going to Saks Fifth Avenue and buy a complete wardrobe for my trip to Honolulu. Oh, you're going to Honolulu? Oh, yes, I have to go. You see, I hit the giant jackpot on singing again, and I've been traveling ever since. <laughs> I, uh, I don't understand. And not what... only that, they painted my house inside and out, and it looks so strange now. Oh. I loved it the way it was. <laughs> Well, look, lady... I'm Mrs. Watson. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Watson? My name is Nathaniel. Nathaniel? A third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> oh, I've never been there. Oh, no, no, it isn't a place. Paging Jack Benny. Mr. Jack Benny, please. Paging Jack Benny. Uh, Mrs. Watson, what oh, I meant oh, to say... Oh, wait a minute. Did you hear that? What? They're paging Jack Benny. Jack Benny? Yes. Haven't you ever heard him on the radio? Well, well, no, no. Oh, I, I, I hope he's living in this hotel. I might see him. He's simply wonderful. <laughs> I listen to him every Sunday, even though I can't win anything. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, what does this You Benny... know the thing I like about him? What? He pretends to be stingy and cheap, and I'm sure he's not that way at all. <laughs> he, uh, he isn't? No, I can tell just by listening to him that he's the sweetest, kindest, and the most generous man in the whole world. <laughs> oh. Well, it's nice to know there are people like that. <laughs> and you want to know something? I almost met him a year ago. You did? Yes, I guessed he was the walking man, but they never called me on the phone. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I better wait out in front of the hotel now. The limousine will be coming any minute. The limousine? Yes, Governor Dewey is the one who has to take me to the store club. That's part of the jackpot. <laughs> Well, goodbye, Mrs. Watson. It was nice talking to you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Phalanx. Uh, no, no, no. It's a thank <laughs> Daniel, third Phalanx, 15th cohort. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Well, now, that was the sweetest old... Oh, my goodness. 
That nice old lady thinks she's going to Honolulu tomorrow. And I have to... Oh, no. Look, Elizabeth, look. Nathaniel is weakening. Who cares whether anybody goes to Honolulu or not? He cares, Chief. He worries about everything. That's why he's so... so... Stupid. That's what he is. Stupid. I still say we sent the wrong angel. No, you didn't, Chief. He still has time. He'll go through with it. Then what's he sitting there for? Why doesn't he go up on the roof and get ready? Look, look what he's doing down there now, biting his nails. Well, he's nervous. Nervous about what? Destroying one of our smallest planets? It's ridiculous. Well, warn him again, Chief, so he'll know it's almost midnight. All right, all right. I'll send him another thundergram. Yes, yes, Chief, I know. Well, I still got about seven minutes. Gee, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Pardon, monsieur. Huh? Oh, oh, hello, little girl. Hello. Are you lost? No, monsieur, I am not lost. Oh. Oh, I thought the way you were looking at me, you you wanted to ask me something. No, no. You just seem so sad, sitting here all by yourself. I am sad. Why, monsieur? Because of something I have to do at midnight. I'm worried about her. Well, you mustn't worry. My mother told me, even when we were in the camp, not to be sad, because someday everything would be all right. The, uh, the camp? You were in... A prison camp, monsieur, back in France. Oh. Oh, I see. Did you do something wrong? No, monsieur. Well, uh... Would you like a piece of my candy bar, monsieur? No, thank you. Although I haven't had a bite since I came down here. <laughs> Except my nails. <laughs> then please take a bite of this chocolate bar. Well, thanks. Thanks. What's your name? Angelique. Angelique? That means little angel in French. Oui, monsieur. You know, I'm an angel, too. <laughs> I'm a big angel. <laughs> you are? What's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> What's your cohort? I don't know. Je ne comprends pas. Oh, then you haven't been in this country long. No, we just came on the boat this morning from France. Oh, and did you say you were in a prison camp? Yes, me and my mama. For three whole years. Then the Americans came and got us out. Oh. Well, where's your mommy and your daddy? Well... My mama is right over there. But I don't know where my daddy is. He used to be a soldier. Oh. Oh, well, Angelique, how is it that you speak English so well? Mama has been teaching me a long time. Three whole years. Three years? I suppose that is quite a long time for a mortal. Especially such a small mortal. And you don't know where your father is? No, monsieur. But Mama said he was the most wonderful man in the world. And we're all going to be together again someday. Angelique? Angelique, is see Mama. Here I am. Oh, I was worried when I didn't see you. Oh, she's quite all right. We were just sitting here talking. He's a very nice man, Mama. Angelique, were you annoying this gentleman? Oh, no, 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 not at all. We had such a nice chat. And Angelique was telling me what a wonderful man her father is. And you're all going to be together again. Is he in New York? Uh, no, monsieur. Angelique uh, would not understand, but he is... 
He's, well, he was a great hero. Oh, I see. And you just arrived from France this morning? Yes. Uh, tonight we are going to take the train to Chicago. We are going to live with relatives there. I have not seen them for over ten years. But they have asked us to come to them. Well, that will be nice. And your little girl can grow up in a good home like... Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What am I saying? You look sad again. Yes, yeah, I just remembered something. Mama, Mama, can I have another piece of candy? Angelique, I just gave you a whole bar. I know, but I offered to share it with this man, and he ate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I just meant to take a bite. Yes. Well, here's some money. You can buy another bar right over there. Thank you, Mama. You know, monsieur, Angelique does not know that her father is dead. Yes, I realize that. She is too young to understand. You see, she was just an infant when he was killed. Monsieur, you don't think there can be another war, do you? Well, not if I... No, I don't think so. <laughs> another war would mean the end of everything. There is not a country in the world that could go through it again. Not the way they fight wars now. People would just destroy each other. They would? Oh, yes, monsieur, yes. And yet it seems very simple for a lot of people to forget about the time of war. They do not want to remember. But we must remember, monsieur, all of us. And take care, or we will die for it. Now it is time for people to get to know each other. Now it is time for people to come together in the world. But there's very little time left, you see. I know, monsieur. Oh, you do? Of course. If we do not change ourselves soon, it will be too late. Though the war is over, there is much still not settled. It may take five years or even ten years before we find the answer to real happiness and understanding. But we will find it, monsieur. We must now reach out to each other and find out about each other. By coming here, Angelique and I have a chance to do that. And we are grateful. We must find peace with each other, monsieur, or we are lost. Yes, yes, I'm sure you're right. But you see... Mama, I have another candy bar. Would you like to share it with me, monsieur? No, no, thank you. I've, I've had enough. Well, come on, Angelique, we must go. Uh, goodbye, monsieur. Uh, monsieur... Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> uh, goodbye, Angelique. Goodbye, monsieur. Goodbye. Hmm. What a cute little girl. Spent three years of her life in a prison camp. Well, it's getting near midnight. Better take the elevator up to the roof. Going up, sir? Yes, yes, the roof, please. Well, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. 
Good night. Good night. Well, it's almost midnight. I'm sure glad it's a nice night. It's the last one. Keep thinking about that little girl, Angelique and her mother. They seem so nice. All they wanted the chance to live together in peace. Maybe most people are good. Maybe the war has been a lesson. If that's true, then the Earth shouldn't be destroyed. Chief. Chief, do you think that I ought to go... But, Chief, you heard what she said, that little girl's mother. They've never had a chance before. Let them have it now. But, Chief, look, there must be millions of others just like them who need time to get to know each other. We have such hopes for the future. This is what Angelique's father gave his life for, to give other people a chance. And now you want to take it away from them. Chief, let's wait a while. Look, Chief, look. I suppose all these people down here don't get together. Suppose there is another war. And the whole world destroy itself. They'll blow the earth to pieces. And then remember, Chief, that would take the responsibility off your shoulders. You won't be to blame. See? <laughs> See what I mean, Chief? You've waited this long, thousands and thousands of years. What harm is there waiting a little longer? Give them a chance. Maybe they'll get to work and live together in peace. Everything will straighten itself out, and it'll be the way you want it to be. What was that, Chief? Oh. Then I won't have to blow the horn? I'm glad you changed your mind. Well, I'd like to come back now, Chief. I'd like to see you and Elizabeth and Horatio. I'd even like to see Mr. Beethoven, too, even though he does holler at me all the time. From now on, I'm going to practice real hard and make him proud of me. Thanks, Chief. I'll leave right now. Going down, mister? Yeah? Going down? No, thank you. Up. From the Ford Theater in Hollywood, you have just heard Mr. Jack Benny starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight. Tonight's version for listening was prepared by Hugh Wedlock and Howard Snyder, and the original musical score was composed and conducted by Cy Fuhr. The Ford Theater, a full hour of dramatic entertainment, is brought to you every Friday by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Lincoln and Mercury cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, and the new 1949 Ford car, officially chosen as the fashion car of the year. It's Ford for the new look in styling, and it's Ford for the new feel in driving. Drive a Ford and feel the difference. Now again, Mr. Markle. May a director identify the principals in our cast tonight. In the foreground... The chief. ...was played, of course, by Mr. Claude Rains, who will soon be seen in the Hal Wallace production, Rope of Sand. Elizabeth. ...was played by Mercedes McCambridge. Angelique. ...was Anne Whitfield. Angelique's mother. ...was played by Jeanette Nolan. Mrs. Watson. ...was Jane Morgan. Mr. Beethoven. ...was Hans Conried. Jerry and Johnny. ...were played by Jerry Farber and Johnny McGovern. Actively assisting were Paul McVeigh, Miriam Wolfe, Eddie Marr, Joseph Kearns, Jay Novello, Julian Upton, Sidney Miller... 
Herb Vigran, Byron Kane, and uh, Shirley Mitchell. Anybody else? Yes, Nathaniel. Was played by Jack Benny. <laughs> Jack, I've uh, got a confession to make. What is it, Fletcher? After all the kidding we did on your program about the horn blows at midnight, I have to admit now that I never saw the picture. You didn't? I just couldn't bring myself to walk into the theater. Why? It's a complex I have, Jack, the fear of being alone. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, Fletcher, I want to tell you it was really nice doing this show for you tonight, and I promise you one thing. If I ever make another bad picture, you can have first crack at it. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. And by the way, just one more question before I give you your check. Oh, the check. Yes, yes. It, you know, it slipped my mind. <laughs> get your hand out of my pocket. Oh, oh. Yes, excuse me. What is it you wanted to ask me, Fletcher? Well, you always kid so much about your age. Tell me, Jack, and be on the level this time. How old are you, really? Fletcher, I'm 39. Now, cut that out! <laughs> so long, Fletcher. Goodbye, Jack, and see you again. You'll be listening to your regular program on CBS this coming Sunday night, and Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman will be your guest. Now it's the next week. Next week on the Ford Theater, we're going to have a story with music. Our star is Mr. Bing Crosby, and our story is one of his most recent films, Welcome Stranger. It's a pleasant portrait of a young doctor who goes to a small New England town so that the local physician can take his first vacation and then suddenly find himself an unwelcome stranger. We're very happy to have with Mr. Crosby, Mr. Barry Fitzgerald, playing his original role, and we'll be welcoming back Miss Anne Blythe for a return visit. We hope you'll be with us. And now until next week, until Bing Crosby, Anne Blythe, and Barry Fitzgerald in Welcome Stranger, this is Fletcher Markle with a good night and thank you from all of us in the Ford Theater. <laughs> Close at Midnight was presented through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of the Academy-nominated Johnny Belinda, starring Jane Wyman and Lou Ayers. The Ford Motor Company invites you to join us again next week at this hour to hear Bing Crosby, Barry Fitzgerald, and Anne Blythe starring in Welcome Stranger. This is Frank Martin speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Horn Blows at Midnight. The hour-long broadcast is heard on the Ford Theater from March 4th, 1949, a CBS broadcast. Jack Benny starring, of course, sponsored by Ford. And there was a lot of great radio performers in this that were not in the movie. Jack Benny, of course, starred in the movie. But uh, you heard people like Hans Conried and Herb Vigren, uh, Frank Martin doing the announcing, Jane Avello, Jeanette Nolan. You had Joseph Kearns. He was an average. Everything, Joseph Kern, Shirley Mitchell, Byron Kane, uh, great hour-long, uh, great hour-long radio dramatization of the horn blows at midnight. And you know what, Lisa, I uh, did a little research on this, and back in 1953, 
Omnibus, which was a TV show, which I think also airs on Antenna TV every once in a while. In 1953, they did a live television adaptation of this radio script. The actual script that we heard, they did a live dramatization on television. And Jack Benny was there again playing Nathaniel with Dorothy Malone as Elizabeth. And uh, as I said earlier, for the rest of his career, Jack used the failure of this movie as one of his best running jokes. And Robert Blake Beretta mm-hmm. was in the movie. He was in the original movie. It was an early movie uh, role for him. He played Junior Poplinski in the film, and he uh, he is credited as Bobby Blake in the movie, not Robert Blake, Bobby Blake. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. Hey, Lisa, did you get your February links for the Classic Radio Club? I sure did. Yeah? Are you loving the shows? You know what? I'm honestly still on January because what? I get a lot of links, and I like to listen to them when I'm driving in my car, but I'm not up to February it's like, yet. That's really the, kind of the best place to listen. We're talking about the Classic Radio Club, folks. The Classic Radio Club is a way for you to receive... 10 of the greatest classic radio shows sent to you every month, whether you want them on five CDs, so 10 shows on five CDs in a collector case, or you can get 10 links from uh, from us, and those links are, they sound just as good as the, as the CDs. Oh, I can attest to that. <laughs> yep, and there's the liner notes and everything that I write for them, um, and yeah, there's some good shows in February. We've had a lot of people... That have uh, you know emailed me and said, "Oh, we love these shows for February." Well, it's always a great variety of shows too. So yeah. um, it's the best quality and a great variety of shows, and you learn a little bit more about classic radio every single month. Yep. So uh, if you want to learn more about uh, joining the Classic Radio Club, you know I'm very happy to say and very honored that we have people from day one, from the very first month that we launched the Classic Radio Club. We have many, many, many of our listeners that are still in the club, and they're joining all the time, and you can cancel at any time, too. So check it all out, ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Right, Lisa? Yep, I love it. All right. Well, uh, I think we're starting a little later next week, right? We are. There's a Blackhawks game. I think it starts at 9 o'clock. We are starting at 12.30 a.m. on Saturday night, which is really Sunday morning. Right. And we'll be on until 3 o'clock. So we'll still have two and a half great hours of classic radio. So what do we have on the agenda? So we're going to play the first uh, show will be Vic and Sade. And Mm -hmm. then we have Suspense, the Abbott and Costello show, and Inner Sanctum Mystery to end the morning. So a good comedy with Vic and Sade, good mystery on suspense, more comedy with Abbott and Costello, and then and a uh, great mystery to, to to fall asleep with God, <laughs> under I, the covers. I, I love Inner Sanctum That's Mysteries. That's a great show. Such a good show. All right. Well, uh, thanks to Shantae Garth, our uh, producer, and Mike Costello, our executive producer. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Carl. So thank, happy to uh, be here. Thank everyone listening to this show. Without you guys, there is no show. Thanks for listening to us here each and every week, playing your favorite classic radio shows. And uh, this is Carl Amari signing off. We'll see you next week.